From the iHeartRadio studios in New York City, come two diehard fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else in their distorted minds, it's Brando and Scotto. And this is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 24. My name is Brando. With me, as always, is my partner in perfect crime, Scott O'Kama Ian. What is going on, Gluteus Maximus? <laughs> That's a good one. Thank I- you. It's weird, man. This has been like a, a major stressful week for me. Mm. But when I hear that we get to interview Chris Weber, the guitarist for Hollywood Rose. Oh, you mean not the guy from uh, Michigan who called the fa- false timeout, went on to play for the Warriors and Kings? I had a feeling you were going to bring that up. I remember <laughs> when his name was mentioned uh, really early on the show. I was like, Chris Weber? Yeah, you were the like, basketball Chris Weber, player? Used to be in Guns do you have Roses? a Chris Weber jersey? I know you have I, a lot of old... I do. I have an old school Warriors jersey, number four, Chris Weber. Yeah, but I'm, I'm that cool. I'm just so amped because we always talk about these major players in the Guns N' Roses story. Mm-hmm. And we've interviewed some really awesome people. I mean, most recently, of course, Dave Kushner, major, you know, major part of the story is being the lead guitarist for Velvet, well, rhythm guitar, Slash is, of course, the lead guitarist, but from Velvet Revolver. But Chris Weber is a guy in that we rarely hear from. We know a lot about, but I don't know what Chris Weber sounds like, so I'm just, I'm psyched to be hearing from him. And what's interesting is that we, before the Dave Kushner interview happened, and we were getting on certain people like Vicki Hamilton, I think we got a message saying that I want to hear from people like Dave Kushner and Chris Weber. Yeah. Little did I know that it would come to fruition. All because of a certain man who joins yeah, us who's, right now. who's one of our lesser... Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hi, John Miller. What's going on, buddy? I'm, uh, you know, just hanging out in my little hotel room here in, um, well, at the crossroads of America. The, the state of Indiana, the city of Lafayette. Yeah, we have John's calling from Lafayette. He's our uh, official Axl Rose uh, hometown correspondent, and he's on location. Right. Wow, and we have we have uh, correspondents I'm, now, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm here. Well, on I, no, I have on to my say, own assignment. This this all goes back to episode one because I really can't thank Jason Schultz enough mm. for introducing us to John, and which goes into I can't I can't thank John enough. For hooking this up, you know that we couldn't have done this just myself and Brando. Six so. degrees of, of GNR. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, it. When, when, when I, I I was on the show with Art, I guess uh, earlier in the spring, I, I think I even said out loud, maybe we could get Chris to do the show. But I, I think I said it a little little too under my breath. Um, I heard you. Okay. <laughs> just, well, I wanted to see when it was you know, appropriate because there were certain people that we wanted to get on, and it's a unique thing what we're doing with this podcast that we're talking to people that you may know, you know, like Charlie Benanti, yeah. and uh, people that you, you know, fringe people you may not know. Uh, I guess maybe right. Chris Weber or people that you and really I, don't know that you should know, and like you, and I'm, that's what like in, in art. You know, art's making. Right. So I want to know, like, what what are you doing uh, before we get into? Because you were just at the St. Louis show. Right. Um, no, I, I drove. I drove out. Um, I, ha- I had to go to the St. Louis show. Oh yeah, so but, something. But it's, it's already cut you off. But before we get into that, because we have a, a jam-packed episode for you today, boys and girls. Uh, I do want to say a couple things. Um, we did acknowledge it in our last um, summary for our, our last uh, interview that 
uh, when we before we recorded, or I should say after we recorded, is probably the the proper terminology. Uh, the the passing of Chester Bennington, and if you listen to this show, we're big on mental health, and you know, we we spoke a lot about Chris Cornell. Uh, so uh, for me, uh, Lincoln Park, I haven't really spoke about them uh, much on this show. But, no, we've we've uh, you know I mean, we have we have, but I, I guess I haven't gone in in depth that they during the heights of my depression, and again we'll talk about this later. Uh, that, that his lyrics, his voice helped me in a lot of ways that Guns N' Roses have, and they were kind of the next generation of that band for me. So um, I definitely want to talk about the uh, you know uh, that later and thoughts with anyone who was affected by it just read a fan just uh killed themselves because of it same thing happened with Kurt Cobain so uh sorry to derail this on on a sad note but I do want to acknowledge that before we go uh crazy uh and also the other thing that happened after our last episode was the Apollo show uh which I guess we'll we'll we'll, we should start there I think because that was like oh my god what's gonna happen I tried getting in Ian tried getting in. He no longer works for Sirius. Nice timing, dick face. It doesn't mean I would have gotten in. There's very few people who got in. Was that John? Did you guys go up there? Did you guys go up? No, no, no. No, no. I mean, yes, we're we're both from Long Island, but so for one, you're not going to commute from Long Island to the city just for a hope. So unless this was like the one reunion show that this was... I mean, no, spoiler well, I, alert, there was no Izzy or Steven. If I heard that was going to happen, then I would have like waited and this, hoped for tickets. But this is also New York City, and on top of that, this is going to be high security. There's no way you're sneaking in there or anything. You yeah. Know, so. and, and well, the, I, I, I don't mean the bearer of bad news, but it looked like um, the, all the fans that went up there were allowed in the show. I mean, I, I, I'm not positive, but you know, from the uh, the GNR fan spot, I, I saw so many faces that did not have tickets that, that waited out earlier in the day, and they all got in, like, in the first front several rows. See, I was going to ask about that, uh, about that, the GNR fan spot on, on Facebook that we uh, we all frequent, because uh, I kept yeah. seeing pictures of people waiting outside, and, and that even deterred me even more. I'm like, there's already people there. Why am I going to even bother going? So you're saying that people, I, I got to look into that. I, I think I'm not positive, all but right. uh, I know that well, some people us, then. allowed in, and, and these are people that, that flew in from all around the country. I know there was like a, a group from yeah. LA that went out there, uh, up from Florida. Mm. So that's they, crazy. These guys. I mean, I you know when I heard about this show, I, I had already made plans to go on on, on a family get together in, in North Carolina. So I, there was no chance. Mm. I entered a contest at the hey, if I win, if I get the contest, I'll fly up for it, but. It was just like the Troubadour show last year. I was away with this, with my, my same, you know, function of my family, you know, for for, for a get together and and a, and a you know fucking make family. It. Get rid of your family. Ah, what are they doing? I can't. They always interfere at the, at the <laughs> moment. But um, dumb family. So, and, I'm just kidding. Well, uh, but, and, I, and then my other fear was mm-hmm. like, did Izzy and Steven were going to show? Not that I really because I I just I would I'm not admittedly I want to see the minute, but. I don't want Frank or, or, or Richard to anything to take away from the fact that these are the players and these are my, you know, this, I, I love this lineup. So, and they didn't. So I, I felt relieved. I'm like, I didn't, you know, it, it, it went down uh, the way it should have. I'll, I'll be honest. Like I, I didn't know that there were fans who got in, but I'm just kind of puzzled. I mean, the, the Apollo is a really small capacity venue. Uh, I would think they sold out every seat in the house to, to, either staff, family members and friends, or contest winners for that show before it started. I mean, that was my assumption. Right. I I was at the Metallica show at the Apollo, and it definitely worked out that way. 
Yeah, because yeah, I'm thinking I'm, I might be giving too much credit to the GNR team, who, who was pretty smart that, you know, maybe they, they left some standing room because they knew fans were going to be there. Yeah. Uh, and if you announce that, then there's a fucking problem. If they did that, that's pretty cool. That is cool, but I'm assuming you... waited outside. Yeah, I mean, because I guess if you didn't experience or know about that with Metallica when you were at that uh, serious show... Uh, but it's, I guess, a different situation. But I was reading. I almost feel like Guns N' Roses, though, are, are. It's a different. Yeah. I, I feel like they're kind of closer with the fans, though, than Metallica in some ways. They really are. I mean, really, there is a there is a huge uh, following of this one specific group that I've been seeing throughout the country. That you'll you'll notice certain faces, especially on the fan spot, and they are at every show. These people were front and center at St. Louis. Um, I mean, it, these people have been going to every show for like the last for the de- last decade. But I even just mean that's new to me. The, the reason I say this, though, is, you know, you see people who kind of wait outside the venue, rarely get pictures with Axel, but you'll see pictures with Duff, sometimes Slash. Right. You don't see that as much with James Hetfield or Lars. I, I think they actually do make mm. a bigger effort to meet fans. Mm, that's interesting. Because there are, I mean, Metallica does the meet and greet thing. I to know. people who join their club. Yeah. Right. I mean, but now on that GNR fan spot, because that's uh, in addition to my GNR, that's just been a, a, a fun just uh, thing just to watch uh, unfold yeah. with all these diehards, especially, John, when you uh, interject your your Hemingway-like posts and comments. You know, you're brilliant, man. Uh, <laughs> well, Art's been calling me out. He'll just say, like, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I don't know if you're being sarcastic or you're being a dick. I know. And I don't want, but if Art's saying that, who's, you know, a professional journalist and writer, then I'm not going to fucking understand. But there I'm like, I rip out my thesaurus. No, right, he, I'm like, what does John mean? But well, um, Art knows how to, how to mess with me, you know? Yeah, no, but, uh, Art's uh, and, and, he's a beautiful troll. <laughs> yeah, last uh, on your last episode, uh, he threw in the, I know he's just kidding around my, um, how I approached Flash. Five or six years ago, his little—that was creepy. I wasn't creepy. It wasn't. I was totally professional. If anything, I looked like the biggest goof in the world. People imitating me as I was—they were watching me speak to him. Nice, right? So I mean, if you, this is the first time you're listening to the AFD show, you want to catch up on uh, John's episodes. Talks about you know meeting Slash and uh, you know possible other members of the band. You have to find out uh, trying to you know get this you know your movie uh, off the ground, which we'll of course we'll get into. Uh, because we're going to be talking to uh, Chris Weber in just a few minutes. But the thing I did want to mention on the GNR fan spot that I'm seeing now, which is maybe the most surprising thing, uh, you would see Axl Rose out a lot, out and about uh, overseas. Uh, and I'm talking about like signing and, and taking pictures with fans or, you know, um, uh, south of the border doing that, but never in America that I've seen. But I'm seeing a lot of pictures of from the show that well, you were out with St. L- at St. Louis of him smiling, taking it. autographs, taking I, pictures. Like, so what's going it, on? I don't know. He, it, all right, the, the show was, was phenomenal. It, it, um, it, it was, it, I felt it was an emotional show. Um, you know, they, they, Nick Bob introduced him and saying, uh, it just feels just like yesterday that we nice. were here, you mm-hmm. know, and got laughter throughout the crowd and, and, and Throughout the night, you know, Axel was having Axel was having a great time, um, and but he did, on several events, make reference um, that it's good to be back, and he was he just he, he had this he seemed to be really grateful for the uh, the the turnout, you know. I mean, the mm. place was was jammed, and uh, everyone was loving it, and I, you know, I mean, there's, there's been so much talk for so many years. 
about what happened in 1991, and it's been misconstrued, and there's there's details left out. But anyway, after the show, um, a friend of mine uh, wanted me to go with her to, um, you know, the rear of the stadium. And next thing you know, Axel comes out. He 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 comes out by himself, with, you know, with with um, security and management. But like he came up to say hello to, to everyone that was waiting. Oh wow! And he he was in a great mood. It was bizarre. I mean, I. I, I it, I Maybe don't know what to say. You know, smoked a blunt. I that's mean, so cool, though. I don't know. No. I, and I assume a better mood than that video that was captured of him outside the Apollo being like, get the fuck out of yes. my way. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was night and day. But, but those those assholes deserve their yeah, jerk, yeah. Like, harassing him like that. You well, know, and well, actually, this goes back to the Chester Bennington thing, which we'll, we'll get more into. But I do think in this day and age of uh, paparazzi and people just filming videos, like, there really is no um, just giving people their personal space anymore no and and people just d- don't have the decency to say this guy just finished performing you know maybe not get right in his way right now and the reason i bring up chester is that that like the day that he died they're like dj from lincoln park arrives at chester bennington's home like do you really think at that moment he wants to see you from tmz up in his face like this is not the the right time and and it's you, sick. you know, people can it's say sick. all they want, like, "Oh, they're a celebrity. They signed up for this." No, they but, didn't. Yeah, we we made that unwritten rule. No, yeah. it, it's absolutely sick, and it does uh, it does bother me. But I want to get both of your guys' uh, opinions on this. Uh, what do you think? Because I guess because you can say the narrative on who Axl Rose is has changed over the last several years with the no meltdowns and the reunion and everything. So when that video came out of an angry Axl. I was actually expecting a lot of comments of people saying, "Oh, back to his old angry self." But everything, everything was not just like you know the the biased fan sites would say, "Good for him, good for Axel standing up." I was like, "Whoa, Axel's seems to be you know he's changing. Even when he's angry, he's doing it you know justifiably." Well, so, I think the circumstances were appropriate for people to be on his side. That, right, like, people, but you know how people twist shit. Like you know that. what I mean? People twist shit all the time. Yeah, yeah but. But I think that, like, the video footage, it was really hard to, 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 to see it any other way, that he was literally being just ambushed mm. by autograph hounds and, uh, and cameras. Um, you know, it, I do think he's changed. I think, I mean, he's I mean, not changed. He's a different guy, but I, Maturity. you know, it's a, it's a different world. And, um, you know, yeah, he's, he, yeah. Well, I want to get also... Well, go ahead. Uh, I I just want, I'm sorry to to cut you off because I want to make sure I get your your thoughts on this too before we uh, speak to Chris. Uh, what that that article that came out about uh, why you should hate Axel if you're, he was like in the St. Louis Gazette or whatever. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, tell us about that. I didn't. I didn't even read it. I don't oh, okay, <laughs> you uh, saw the headline because like, I, I, I saw I, you fighting I, on the comments. Sorry to talk over you, but I saw you just fighting in the comments I, about it. I probably, you know, you know, I admit I I, I didn't read it. Um, okay. But just the intention to do it is just a, just a pathetic opportunistic um, uh, is a pathetic opportunity for somebody to, to draw attention to themselves and look a real look at, like a real ass. I mean, we're talking about an incident twenty six years ago, you know, and like the fact that they're they're here and it's it's an it's an adjust, it's a gesture of um, civility. And you should have seen the show. I mean, there was no like. It, it was a it was a it was a great humble sincere honest performance. That's awesome. And uh, and and everyone felt it. 
Um, even the guy Stump, the, the guy that uh, was taking pictures back in the day, he was there that night. I saw, you know, yeah, I saw to, articles about that. I did too. But, yeah, trying to draw attention to himself, but like, mm. whatever. I mean, like, fuck that guy. <laughs> I hear you. You know, I hear he, it. He was he was in the wrong. If you watch that whole all the footage from back in the day, he was he was a, a member of that security team. He was off that night, but that whole team was taking total advantage of. Uh, of their of their position, messing with people in the crowd, bothering Axel throughout the night, and and doing nothing. And there was a strict rule about no photography. And then nobody would would do anything. So I think it's and you know I, I I like Axel said he probably could have handled it in a different way, but I don't know what way way that was if no one was doing anything. So he took it by himself, and he didn't hit the guy. He tackled him, and then he gave like the little security guard like a little. Like one of my friends calls it a cuff. You know, he cuffed him in the forehead. That doesn't mm. hurt. It's like a wrestling move. You know, it's, it's sort of saying, wake up, guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm. But either way, this is like, this is a kindler, gentler Axl Rose that we're seeing in some <laughs> okay, ways. So, that's too yeah. funny. I do want to, um, because it's, it, it's great because you are getting, I mean, of course, they're going to be the bad people out there still trying to get uh, stirred and get a press for themselves and or people who don't fully buy it. Uh, before we get Chris like on, alter, like alternativenation.com. Well, they've, uh, hey, they've, they've, they're they've good to us. Out. So no, and they're good. Aren't. I understand, like, <laughs> they're I, good I to us. They, I mean, I understand exposure is good. I mean, I, I believe in it. It's just unfortunate, um, that there's the other side to them that like they, they are admitted leeches and they will, they will spread around false rumors and whatnot just to get attention and take advantage of, of the fans and, and, and it, you know, and it is good. I want you guys to, to get the exposure. Um, and, uh, but anyways, like, like that is a site as long as, as well as this other YouTube thing called GNR central, who just, again, just spreads nonsense that they, they don't go at any show and they just get secondhand information. And then, so anyway, hey, I'm I'm personally for any site that wants to write about us and give us and, proper credit. And so. I will have to give uh, uh, corrected credit to I believe it's uh, Ultimate Guitar, whoever Axel uh, Rosenberg writes for. And I thought that was was a, it. Metal sucks. Maybe it was Metal sucks. You're right, Axel yeah. Rose, Rosenberg. He initially credited Ultimate Guitar, I think, yeah, yeah. for the Dave Kushner interview. And then I tweeted at him or whatever, private message him. I was like, no, it's us, it's us, you know. And then he fixed it. So yeah. I, so I, I, shout I out to Metal that. sucks as well. Yeah. So I do uh, appreciate that. And as we're waiting for Chris to call any second, uh, I do uh, want to give my my friend who did go to. I have several friends who went to the Apollo show. Lucky but, bastards. I mean, they all know me and my passion, but they were all like, it was all top secret and how they can get in through somebody else. Uh, but my friend who happened to go, she wasn't actually that excited. She just went for the experience. First time seeing GNR, and she's uh, my age, like the early 30s. She left like that was one of the top five concerts I've ever seen. And this girl goes to concerts like legends. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, Axel, you know, his voice was on point. I'm shocked. And I thought it was funny. He's like, oh, he was not as puffy as I thought. <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks. And especially those... Uh... Photoshop pictures that people keep throwing around trying to trying to justify their rude comments. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Um, he was thin. Like the other night, he like he, he his he when he when he came out, it was funny. Like he'd switch to, to pair of shorts, and uh, he was just sort of like in like a workout kind of gear. And um, he's 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 a thin guy. 
I mean, he's got a, he's like Slash where, and I'm saying it as, as, as me, you know, he's got a little bit of a dad bod, but it's not like he's still in shape. It's, he's not like the Axl Rose coming out in bicycle shorts. I mean, the dude's 50, but he's look, he looks good. He's not the he also, supposed yeah. fat Axl that everyone thinks he is. Yeah, and he uh, he dresses appropriately for his size. He does. I was going to throw this he's out He's not there. Vince Neil. You oh. see Vince Neil oh, recently? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He oh. is having, he's, he's Octomom. I'll tell you, I was going to throw out there, and look, I'd love to have him on the show. I'm not trying to be insulting, so if anybody happens to hear this i you know i'm just being honest so i saw la guns recently and phil lewis wears like the high cut t-shirt and it's just not flattering on him bill, Co- you bill know? corgan does the same thing you yeah know? which is funny though because he Tra- needs a stylist tracy guns <laughs> looks excellent and uh yeah he he looks fine phil lewis i was just like not the most flattering outfit dude um mm. i'm gonna try to see them they're, they're gonna be um on uh, wednesday night they're great uh in 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 the city they're great that's Uh, why i want to throw out there i'm not being a hater because i i don't like the haters out there it was a great performance the current lineup kicks ass and most importantly to me you could tell they're having a really fun time playing with each other and this is not just a cash grab or something you know i know tracy guns did not get along with the uh classic drummer of the lineup so they got rid of him so it seems like because of that these guys are able to play together and uh, they, re- I think they truly squashed the beef because up there they, uh, they, they, they're just having a fun time and putting on an excellent performance. So yeah, no, right. and we'd love to get Tracy Guns on the show. Uh, yeah, I think you'll have a great time. And we, uh, we cool. I want to talk to Chris Weber about Tracy because they went to high school together. So with that, we couldn't be more excited to have Chris Weber joining us by phone. Uh, and just to give some background here, I feel like anybody who's really followed this band and has read up on their history knows this. But prior to Guns N' Roses, there were two bands on the scene. There was uh, Hollywood Rose and then after that, L.A. Guns. Those two bands kind of merged and formed what we call Guns N' Roses. But the original guitarist, before you ever heard of Slash and before Tracy Guns was even in a band with Axl Rose officially... Hollywood Rose, the original guitarist, was Chris Weber, and we're just so excited to hear the full story because you're a guy that is uh, often speculated upon and people are, are writing about, but you're not someone that we we really hear from. You're you're like behind the scenes at this this point in the game. Yeah, I, I get you know i i've um, I've been able to sort of support you know that band through some interviews over the years, you know, a couple of books and some radio stuff. Um, but they've, you know, they've done a great job there on their own. They don't, you know, my, my input is, you know, cursory. But that history is still, I mean, that history is important, but I want to get into kind of who Chris Weber is. And I said jokingly before we got on the air, but I want you still to verify it. You are not the basketball player that used to play for the Warriors and, <laughs> and call that infamous timeout for Michigan. I know, I, I kid. I think he has an extra B. Not like, because the major difference is you're not like a 6'4 black guy. I'm aware of that. Uh, well, I, you know, when, when I, you know, I do, if I had an extra B in my name, I would try to cash his checks. <laughs> That's smart. But, smart. I, but I don't. I want only one B. Okay. Uh, people do give me the timeout signal when they hear my name. <laughs> a couple times a year still, so. I'm glad I'm in terrible company uh but i want to know more about you about as far as where you you uh, grew up and how you got into uh the music scene just give some background about who you are sure uh well i'm from los angeles uh hollywood hills um you know i was playing guitar since age nine uh thanks to my mom we knew a couple 
couple uh, professional musicians that took a took an interest in kind of helping me through. We were friends with some of the guys in the band War. Um, that uh, sort of uh, you know wanted to help me out. So um, got a guitar at nine. Did a couple lessons. Didn't really sort of take to being to instruction. Was more uh, liked just sort of learning on my own a bit more. Um, by the time I was 14, I was in some, you know, playing in, actually by the time I was 10, I was doing, we had a little band going, which, uh, which is my first sort of experience of sort of playing in front of crowds. What was the name of your band know, at 10 years old? Uh, it was called Plus Four. Plus Four? Well, uh, can you Plus, sue Mark Hoppus? Oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. I thought it was like Plus 44, that Mark Hoppus band. No. Okay. No. Maybe this maybe they stole my name. It was a good name. Oh, maybe. Okay. I was also I was hoping it was like Muppet Babies from Hell or something like really, you know, infant. No. <laughs> all right. Never mind. Continue. Sorry. I have I have Tourette's. That's all right. There were four of us, so we kind of had a. Um, that was the inspiration. But anyway, so you know, uh, garage bands until you know through fourteen and fifteen, um, and then I you know hung out at the the Troubadour here in Los Angeles. The you know. A, a, pretty popular venue, mm-hmm. live music venue. Of course. Uh, a lot of rock. Sorry? No, I said of course. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. skipping ahead, but it's where the infamous reunion took place because of all the history there with uh, with you and, and what went on to be Guns N' Roses. Yeah. I mean, spent a lot of time in, you know, in front of, in front of the troubadour, inside the troubadour, but in front of the troubadour, socializing, you know, with the, the community. Um, it, we were, you know, eighty-three, eighty-four was, you know, glam was, you know, we were a glam band, and uh, you know, we would uh, spray our hair, you know, long, long hair sprayed straight up. You can see it in the pictures still, early GNR stuff, mm-hmm. and um, you know, stiletto boots and you know, tight tight jeans and you know it was just it was good you know um so spent a lot of time doing that i was friends with tracy guns who i went to school with uh to fairfax high Mm -hmm. and uh him and i uh we we had a couple really fun years sort of getting you know into like 16 16 years old we were sort of you know he was driving and uh we were going you know hitting the beach a lot and going out to venues and, and stuff so anyway he uh I think he had a bit, he did have a band and I kind of said, listen, if you ever want to, you know, another guitar player, you know, I'd be happy to kind of come down and jam with you guys. And so he came up to me one day and he goes, listen, um, I found, I met this other guy. I met this guy um, and I'd like to introduce him to you. Said, okay. So, uh, one, you know, we used to go to the rainbow a lot, but at 16, I spent most of my time in the parking lot, which was, if you talk to anybody from that age, you'll know that the parking lot was really, you know, just as important as inside. You know, everybody after at two o'clock would, would, you know, roll out to the parking lot and um, spend the next hour and a half sort of hooking up with, you know, the opposite sex or, you know, going out to parties afterwards. So, sure. um, so that's where you would go. So anyway, so, you know, I didn't get in a lot because of, because of my age. I would sneak in occasionally and, um, and they were really – kind of nice to me once I got in, you know, didn't embarrass me kicking me out, but uh, they were good guys. But in any case, so one time at the, at the rainbow, Tracy said this to me and I said, okay, I'd like to meet this guy. So he introduced, so we went to the, to his, where his truck was and introduced me to, um, 
is it? Who at the time was Jeff? Um, so you know, said uh, you're, you know, you guys are both guitar players, and I know you're both looking for bands. Why don't you guys talk? So that night, I, I talked to Izzy probably I don't know two couple hours, um, talking about bands we liked and sort of directions, you know, and what he wanted. Uh, and, and if you don't mind deep. me asking, like, who were some of those bands? Who, who were the bands who influenced you to play guitar and and that you and Izzy bonded on? Um, let me think. I don't, you know, um, you know, I was, I, I grew up listening to Zeppelin. Um, I, at the, at the early eighties, I was listening, I mean, I was listening, you know, Judas Priest was important to me at that time. I listened to a lot of Rush, although, you know, my style isn't, you know, Rush-like, hmm. um, you know, rock bands, you know, Motorhead, um, Aerosmith. And, oh, Aerosmith, yeah, probably the most most influential to to my musical style of writing is, is Aerosmith, although I don't think I play anything like uh, Joe Perry. Um, it makes sense, though, because you definitely hear that Aerosmith vibe in, you know, what would later become Guns N' Roses and even covering Aerosmith. And even the Juju Hounds, a lot of it, that's, that's what I would think of Aerosmith. So that makes a lot of sense. That's what you, you guys bonded over. Well, Chris, did, did yeah, you Yeah, I mean, play... I agree. Sorry, is that John? Yes, it is. John's yes. still here. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Did, did did he play Hanoi Rocks for you that night? Well, yeah. I mean, as I was going to go on, yeah. So part of what I was going to say is, is that part of what Izzy really wanted was to have a band that looked like he had this image of what the band would look like. And in L.A. at the time, there was a lot of glam, but there was also a lot of metal. Uh, and I, you know, personally, I've never owned a pair of spandex. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've never owned, a, you know, a spiked bracelet. You just rented. Uh, <laughs> I, I just went, they just, I couldn't, you know, I, I, I felt, I felt embarrassed in them. They just weren't my <laughs> style. Now that this right. is coming from a guy that, you know, had bleached white hair and, you know, pink lipstick on stage, <laughs> but, the, but we, the black spandex wasn't my style at all. We all have our limits. We all have it. Right. I mean, I got to draw the line. <laughs> so, you know, and, and the guys that look like that actually got more girls than, you know, than the, the more metal guys. But in any case, the Izzy, you know, made it clear that he wanted this particular image. And I knew of Hanoi Rocks just from being, you know, just from being around, you know, around the, the scene, especially because of the image. I didn't really know what they sounded like. So anyway, so Izzy talked a lot about, how he wanted this band to be styled in the same sort of styling. And I don't think he was necessarily copying Hanoi Rocks, but I definitely, you can see early on that there's a lot of influence. I mean, there's Andy McCoy written all over some of the earlier pictures. That's so interesting that, uh, you know, Hanoi Rocks is a band that you, it's true, you don't hear their music so often. They never had a major hit, but for some reason, the image of that band influenced all these bands that we listen to today, you know, you're talking about early Guns N' Roses or Hollywood Rose at the time. And people say, you know, Motley Crue during that theater of pain era after the death of uh, Razzle, of course, which was, you know, due to Vince Neil's Motley Crue. People say that that image was directly taken from Hanoi Rocks. So there was definitely something to to that image. Yeah, I, I you know, I would I would say that's correct. Um, you know, I, I felt that the first I mean, you know, maybe I just see it this way, but the first band to really go out there and kind of push that was 
Hollywood Rose. And there, and there were likely other bands, and certainly within that year, there were other bands, and I'm sure we didn't inspire other bands to be like that image-wise, as, as young of a band as we were at the time. But that was just sort of popping off. So we were doing that at a time where, you know, um, most, like I was saying, most band, most guys were like, you know, spandex and, you know, sort of, you know, more t- tough looking. So um, even even Quiet Riot, you know, if you if you look back at that time, it really wasn't glam so much. It was kind of that rock striped shirt look, you know. So in any case, that, that's my how I remember it. And uh, so anyway, he, you know, as he was, you know, that was a big issue for him. He really wanted that to happen. So, um, so, and I, and I, that, that made sense to me. I like that. I like that whole, that whole look. So started to sort of formulate what the band would look like at, at the same time as what it would sound like. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I remember that. That's one of the I thought was really interesting is that, you noted how it wasn't an issue of whether or not Izzy could play, but he had a great look, and he wanted the band to have this look. Everything was about the look. That sounds like Nikki Six, uh, yeah. John. That sounds like the same thing that Nikki Six wants. <laughs> well, it's funny that we throw that all in there because, yeah, he's he. You know, if you watch that behind the music of Motley Crue, they talk about Vince Neil, and he's like, I didn't care if he could sing. I knew the girls went wild over how he looked, and and he was able to command that stage and. We knew we wanted this guy. So I, I think that was, you know, indicative at the time. And, and maybe they don't talk about it as much today, but the image of the band is extremely important. Right. Yeah. Um, it, you know, what? We, we used to have this uh, newspaper here in L.A., the, the Recycler. Yep. And you would look in, you'd look in the Recycler for, you know, uh, for band members. Um, and... It, Every every time you would look, there would be something that in in the uh, the ad or you know the, the you know the wanted would say you know get you know drummer wanted uh, no short hairs. <laughs> short hairs. Or, or, or no no must no you know must have a great look. No no mustaches. Doesn't talk about how well they play. Doesn't talk about what their style is. Mm. That was big at the time, or even before then. I remember. Um, you know, I I always go back to other bands here, but like Paul Stanley talked about, like he didn't like seeing bands that had beards at the time. It was like no facial yeah. hair. That was no that was beard. big back then. This sounds like rock and roll Tinder. <laughs> Before, you know, like nobody gives a shit to read like the bio. It's just like, oh, what do you look like? Swipe, swipe, swipe. So then, then Chris, let me ask you because because uh, you went to school with uh, with Tracy. Was it before or after Slash tried out for Poison and he didn't want to do that look that that maybe you had met him? Was that also through the Recycler? Uh, I don't, well, I'm trying to figure out the timeline here. Uh, well, when he tried out for Poison, I also tried out for Poison. So oh, I wow. I think that's at a time um, that I think that's at a time that Tracy was in the band because I wasn't in the band any longer, but I was in that scene and I already had my sort of rock chops going. Um, and if Slash did it as well, he either was in playing in Hollywood Rose and then sort of just went to go see if Poison was a good option for him, or it's during the time that that. Tracy was playing, which which would make more sense to me. Makes I never sense. really thought of. Well, that's interesting because I, I, I wanted, I've been wanting to ask you about this too. Tracy was a part of Hollywood Rose for a period. Um, by my by my calculations, yeah, I think I see some flyers. I mean, his 
L.A. Guns was not, you know, Axel was not L.A. Guns. You know, L.A. Guns was a different band. Tracy connected with uh, Axel and played in what I thought was Hollywood Road. I thought it was called, because um, I, I, I watched the documentary that you're in, uh, Axel Rose, The Prettiest Star, that there was a band called Rose first, and they had to change yeah, it to we, Hollywood. Is that what is maybe that's the time period? Yeah, no, no, no. We just changed it. We changed it because the band was originally called AXL, and this is when we were still calling Axel Bill, and um, it was called. We called it AXL, and I never liked the name, and I don't think Izzy liked the name, but Axel really wanted it. So we, at some some date, something happened, and we were kind of like, you know what, we're we're out of here. We had a little bit of leverage, Izzy and I, uh, from something that happened. I can't even remember what. But we said, listen, we'll 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 keep the band together, but we need got to change the name. Um, and Axel was fine with it, I guess. I can't even remember if, if he put up much resistance. But anyway, we called it Rose, and we did a lot of shows under the name Rose. I got a couple, still got a couple Troubadour tickets with them. Um, Oh man, I bet those would go on eBay for quite, <laughs> quite a pretty penny. Those are his emotional uh, possessions. Yeah. Why I'm would you sure. try to sell his? Don't do that to him. <laughs> I, you know what? I think there's a picture on the Cleopatra Records thing. I think I gave them one, which they scanned. But in any case, they we it was a Spinal Tap moment where we did a sort of a search, and we saw another band called Rose. And if you've seen Spinal Tap, they were going like we were the you know sure whatevers, and then we were the new whatevers. True. <laughs> So we, we, like you know, well, we're Hollywood Rose. That'll that's that's how the name came about. Okay. So if we could back up here a bit, you know, you talked about meeting Izzy, bonding on on bands and the look and everything. At what point does Axel enter the picture, and and that you get introduced to Axel Rose? Um, I think I, uh, I think at the time Izzy was living really close to the Coconut Teaser, so most of the time that I was hanging out with him. I would go see him at, at that at his house at probably within a week, maybe. And we were writing songs pretty much every day. Was it was probably Axel playing in Rapid Fire at this point? You know what? I don't know. Okay. I didn't. You know, I didn't even hear of Rapid Fire to be honest with you until maybe ten years ago. Hmm. Um, but so me and Izzy were, you know, had done this kind of week long sort of just jamming and stuff like that at his pad, and he said, "Listen, I got my." This, my friend is in town, and I don't know if Axel was out of town or maybe he was at home for a while and then flying out. Um, but he said, Let, you know, let's go meet him. He's a, he's this, he's our singer, basically. And Before so, you even hear him, he's our singer. So you had no well, say. I mean, you know, the music didn't matter to Izzy. It was just the look. So I figured, why break with tradition and start worrying about, you know, who the singer is? Let's just assume that Izzy has a good eye for it. Hmm. Um, so anyway, I went to, and you know, I've said this before in some books and things like that, but in any case, I, I went to an apartment on Whitley, uh, above Franklin in Hollywood, uh, very old, an area with a lot of very old, very cool old buildings. Um, and went up, uh, the type of elevator where you got to close the gate and went up to the top floor and, you know, got out and as as I looked across the, the, the rooftop in the corner, sort of the other corner was this really white figure, you know, and, um, walked over to him and I entered in, you know, and as he said, this is bill, you know, and, and he was just, he was, you know, he was sunning himself, you know, he was tanning 
Um, and uh, and that was it. That's when I first met him. So, I always picture that. I mean, like with that guy, that pale skin, he must have been frying up there. You know? Yeah, I, like, I don't know why I always remember it that way, but it, it must have left some sort of mark because I remember because I was like, I was, you know, I was trying to figure out what this person looked like from a distance, but I only could see the this sort of the, you know, the, the illuminating whiteness of them. Yeah. <laughs> and a rooftop in L.A. In, in, I guess, the springtime. That is some serious fun. <laughs> yeah. So what, what was your first impression, um, I guess, first of all, on the look, since Izzy said this guy has the look for the band? And then at what point did you first hear the voice out of Bill at the time? And what was your impression of that? I was, I mean, I was perfectly fine with, because it was Izzy, and I thought, even by this point, I thought Izzy was the coolest thing in the world, so... Well, you know, he could have, you know, he could have said, we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to be in a polka band. And I'd be like, all right. <laughs> so, polka is very underrated. <laughs> you know, I think I can't remember exactly, but, you know, we started to, to jam and, and, and there was some, he was some low tones. I've never heard the rapid fire record, but I hear that it's kind of more of a sort of a traditional sounding singer vibe that he had i don't know if that's correct but he was kind of doing that but when he started to go to this sort of his axle voice it was like wait you got to sing every song just like that yeah and he may have already been doing that and may just be sort of just the circumstance that he wasn't doing that day but when that when that happened it was like you know that this is a this is going to be great this is awesome <laughs> Did you think he was going to be something huge at that point, or were you just like, man, this guy's got a really unique voice? I, you know what? I was 16. I didn't think of, you know, huge, huge for me was, you know, so far removed. I mean, I had Zeppelin posters on my wall. You know, I was, ne- I was never going to be, and anybody I ever knew was never going to be Zeppelin. You know what I mean? Hmm. So, but, but I thought that this is going to be something that, that is, you know, that I, I would like to be connected to. Um, and, you know, and again, I, I was saying, you know, I listened to I was listening to Judas Priest earlier, you know, in, in the years before and people that could scream were, you know, with a good screamy voice and not some crappy scream um, were impressive back then, you know. And you are connected now because as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of Appetite for Destruction, you're credited for co-writing Anything Goes. So can you take us through like uh, the songwriting process? So you know, who brought the lyrics to the table, the music? How did any, how did anything goes happen? I think um, you know Izzy and I were we're listening to a lot of Aerosmith, um, and I think uh, Rock and a Hard Place had just come out or come out just you know around that time. Listening to a lot of that, and it just sort of felt you know kind of I felt some of the the vibe that that was giving off kind of inspired some of my writing. And I think move to the city is a good example of, you know, a riff that, that I wrote that. I love that tune. That sort of, yeah. It's got that sort of same type of vibe. And, you know, uh, our songwriting was pretty much always the same. I would typically, this is my, how I remember it, that, that he, the, the songs that I, I composed with them, um, I would bring a riff to the ta- to the table, me and you know, and, and then me and Izzy would work on it, um, and we would record we'd record our parts. Right, there were no drums or anything. We didn't have any small studio at that time, not even a, a four track, um, but just recorded on onto a tape, you know, a cassette tape, 
and then give it to Axel, and Axel would go away with it, and he'd go away for, with it for, you know, any number of days until he came back and says, "Okay, I've got lyrics to it," and then we would all, then we would all play um, two guitars and the, and the vocals, and then we slowly start to put together the band. In fact, when we did the demo tape that uh, that Cleopatra Records released, um, the five songs. Um, we didn't have a drummer at the time. We didn't have a band. We we it was me me Axel and Izzy Soli, um, and we had to we had to find a drummer that came in and kind of learned those songs, which is Johnny Christ at the at kind of on the day. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we got him a tape a couple of days before, but it was it was pretty pretty quick. So, um, but the songwriting again, just the sort of. This is, this is was my bringing it forward, me and Izzy working on it, and then um, then Axel getting a tape and then writing the lyrics. There are certainly songs that that Izzy just wrote and then Axel just wrote, um, you know, that of our sets that we were playing at the time. They never quite made it to the records, I don't think. Um, and with those ones, they would bring me and say, "This is the song," and I just I create an arrangement over the top. Mm. So would that be the case? Because uh, we mentioned Anything Goes and Move to the City. What about uh, Reckless Life and uh, Shadow of Your Love as well? I mean, those uh, these are great tunes. So you are a part of the history. And I, before I even knew, you know, the other Chris Weber, I'm rocking out to these <laughs> tunes. You know, so it's not even like I'm uh, blowing smoke. So I want to know those. I want to know more about some of my favorite GNR tunes. No, oh, thanks. Uh, you know, um, man, it's a long time. But I mean, that was the that was the songwriting process. So I, I don't really remember the day that that particular song came up. But th- those those songs, uh, "Reckless Life," at least, uh, "Anything Goes," uh, and then the other ones off of that um, Cleopatra tape were the original. You know, were some of the original songs that we wrote. Um, and without having a band, you know, we'd written more after the band got you know, after we put a band together to kind of start playing out live. So here's the thing. These songs have lived on long, long after your time in the band with uh, Hollywood Rose, working with Axel, working with Izzy. Um, I'm just wondering, at what point does Tracy Guns come into the picture as the guitarist for this band? And how did how did the story end up going that you were no longer with them? Because mm-hmm. this is a pretty, even though these these songs are huge and we all remember them, this is a pretty short span of time. And I'm reading, and I know Wikipedia is always correct, <laughs> uh, that Axel fired you and replaced you with Slash. Is that correct? Um, I mean, that's not the way I, that's not the way I remember it, but. Wikipedia is wrong. Oh my God. This is the first time for everything. So, yeah. So it goes to jump on what Ian was saying, I guess, uh, the demise of Hollywood Rose and your exit and what happened. You know, I think, I think that. The specifics, you know, I mean, they, you know, it's it's by perception and it changes over time. And even one person's view may, you know, may change uh, in the light of other information. But the way I remember is we played, we, we played the music machine here in, in, uh, it was in Santa Monica um, and California, just connected part of Los Angeles and, and uh, um, with Striper, if you guys remember the band Striper. Oh, of course. Yeah. Still touring today. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, Michael. So, uh, we were talking about this. Uh, sorry to, to deviate for a second. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Trunk had on uh, Michael Sweet recently, or he has him on a lot. Yeah. And and Michael Sweet's super active. Very. Right? He's uh, touring. You know, even on Twitter. Uh, Did an album with George Lynch from Dokken. Yeah. And somebody asked, like, "Oh, what's going on with Michael Sweet?" And Eddie went on some complete, you know, rant. Oh yeah, and he freaking was fired up. Yeah, I was just like, "How do you like? How are you fans of these bands and not know about like what's going on with them at the time?" So that's. That's why we, we, we enjoy, yes, we, everyone knows what, what's currently going on with GNR because they're back in the limelight. We dig deeper because we're nerds, but that's why it's just funny you mentioned uh, Michael Sweet <laughs> because he, yeah. he's alive. He's alive. It was him, you know, it was those guys, and then the, wasn't there brothers in there? Anyway, and then Yeah, uh, Michael Sweet, and yeah, his, his brother is the drummer. Yeah, and then there was the, the other guitar player was Oz or mm-hmm. something. Uh, the, yeah, uh, and they're and they're anyway. still touring with the original lineup. But yeah, back to what you were. Uh... And I'm Jewish. I'm afraid of getting a Bible thrown at me, so that's why I don't go. I, I mean, I don't. I, you know, not to not to anything negative about Striper. Um, I, I don't remember them being sort of very sort of you know. Um, being great role models backstage. <laughs> oh, okay. That's some dirt right there. Because I just mentioned yeah. I, that my terrible joke clearly went over his head saying that I'm Jewish <laughs> and I don't want to go to these shows by having Bibles thrown at me <laughs> because they... Oh, okay. is that what they do? They throw a Bible? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there's an infamous story that um, when they opened for Anthrax, <laughs> the crowd was throwing the Bibles back at them. <laughs> I like that. Oh, my God. That reminds me of my band UPO when we played in... in uh, the Slipknot fan sat on the floor and, and looked away from us during the whole set. I thought that was nice. Ooh, really? But Slipknot fans have a tendency to kind of like, unless it's Slipknot, they kind of turn the other direction and sit there. At some point where you're like, I played with fucking Axl Rose, goddammit. Show me some respect. I got, I mean, my UPO was a great band. We had, a, we had a lot of success for a couple of years and, um, Anyway, I know it's not a UPO. Sure, yeah. No, 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 I, no we'll, awesome. get, we'll get into UPO, and I, UPO I don't want to... was awesome. We were listening to it on uh, before, and, and John could uh, can verify we were listening to some UPO. So, yeah, I no, mean, so wait, wait, let's just mention it now, so it's not weird. You sure, know? no, well, they will... I mean, UPO is excellent. I do want to get into it, but I, I just want to make sure we get back into uh, the departure story, because right. this, yeah, yeah. this is okay. important. Yeah, we're all over the place, <laughs> Chris, if you haven't noticed. I get, so the best, best memory that I have, we played that show at the Music Machine... Axel got pissed off. I think I bumped into him on stage. I can't remember exactly. It's, it's something like that. Um, and it was like, fuck it, we're going to end the, this is where I'm, I'm leaving. So he essentially left. Um, at the time that, it, that he left is when moved to, within that period of time is when me and Izzy wrote, um, moved to the city um, because Axel wasn't part of it. Um, but uh, in any case, I, from my memory, he did connect with um, with Tracy at that time, and I think he was living at um, Raz's house, which is a friend of Tracy's, who kind of helped LA Guns kind of get off the ground financially and with his support. Um, so I think Axel was connected via that, and obviously Tracy was kind of connected to everybody, considering he introduced me to Izzy, and he was just an all-around good guy, kind of. Um, was around a lot, so they they were playing. So the the you know we had all kind of disbanded. I didn't feel fired hmm. uh, because we weren't we weren't together as a band anymore. Fired would be they continue playing and then just have somebody else come in. Okay, but um, so um, so I think I think 
Slash was in the band when so Izzy would have played and then uh, Slash would have played, joined, um, and then Slash couldn't play because he was had to work one night for this particular show. So that's when I came back and 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 played again with them, um, and that's when we played the sh- uh, show at Dancing Waters in San Pedro, California. Was that a New Year's Eve show or something? I think so. The way I remember, I don't remember exactly the date, but that was my memory of it was like a New Year's Eve show. Hmm. Um, All right. And, and Steve Darrow was on bass then, wasn't he? Yep. And and Rob Gardner, the drummer from uh, the LA Guns, the original LA Guns right. Right. drummer. So cool, man. It's great getting into all this history. Um, then, so- but I then I saw, I don't know if this is the same point you were about to express, Ian. Then I want to know how, you know, it, whether the disbanded, you or you joined for that one show. So what was happened during the time period where they're forming that band and then you have to decide to form this other band, UPO? So that, oh, that time I mean, period. UPO, UPO is decades later. Decades. Right. So, I mean, I know we're, we're filling in decades. So I want to know, like, I guess, the, oh. the, yeah, yeah. I know it wasn't immediately after. But, like, what was the, uh, uh, you know, that whole process, I guess, of what happened, and you're looking for another band, and I guess that whole time period, because we want to know what your life was like during that, that tenure where GNR was forming. Sure. So, uh, late 80s, um, I went, you know, from then, I went, to, I went to New York for a little bit, lived in New York with some friends, New York and New Jersey, for about, you know, a year until it got winter, and then it was too cold, and so I came home. Um, and just played in a bunch of sort of Hollywood bands. Didn't really get my groove going again until, until much later. I was in a band, a lunatic fringe. I was in a, some other bands that were just were Hollywood bands and, and it was fun, but, um, you know, there wasn't any big push behind any of them. You know, everybody back then to talk to anybody from then that was a musician that say, you know, th- the story would be, you know, we got a demo tape. We have a we have a lawyer who's in the music industry. He's going to get us signed, and that's I mean that's a common story. Mm-hmm. Everybody sort of had this sort of like, you know, this this music attorney that was going to make the deal for them that knew people. So bands would play Hollywood and, and the Strip, and um, in in hopes of you know drawing large crowds and then getting you know getting a record company guy to come down and see them. Then you would do showcases and blah blah blah. So I, I uh, want to back it up a little bit. Because I feel like your story is almost similar to Dave Mustaine, you know, who wrote some of the songs on Metallica's Kill Em All. You wrote stuff that appeared on Appetite for Destruction. Now, I know Appetite for Destruction wasn't an overnight success, as, as some people often think. It took a little bit for the album to, to gain traction. But I'm wondering, once Appetite for Destruction becomes a worldwide success, you have songs on that album uh, we know Dave Mustaine when he left when he was kicked out of Metallica, he had major depression for years about this. Like mm-hmm. if you watch um, some kind of monster, it's something that he really never got over. I'm he wondering, cried. yeah, I'm wondering if your experience was in any way similar when you watch these guys that you came up with go on to make you know what some would call the biggest rock album of all time. I, I I just wonder what it's like not getting to be a part of that, even though you were an instrumental part of songs on there. Yeah, uh, well, I didn't have depression, um, so I, I got I didn't you know that it didn't hit me in the same way that it would have hit Dave. 
I, th- I mean, I think one of the things is that I that I I don't look at it necessarily that I wrote a song on there. I felt like I sort of helped create it from the you know from this sort of infantile sort of beginnings, and certainly the other guys you know Slash did you know the next step, but from the very sort of foundation of it sort of was part of that, and I I'm kind of more proud of that. Uh, than just the songs or together, you know, that, that I had maybe a good instinct to, to do that. Um, but in any case, I, you know, I didn't, I, I just kind of just went with the flow. I mean, I, you know, there were a lot of people that were, uh, I didn't let anybody really know. I didn't really have anybody to tell. There was times in my life where I wasn't really hanging around m- any musicians. Um, I kind of let it just sort of be. I think that there was, when Geffen called me and they said, you know, there were some dealings with Geffen around the songwriting and the publishing and all that. Um, then it became a little bit more real. And that's when they yeah. were sort of really making a lot, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, those were times in my life that I, I have to be honest, you know, uh, they were pretty nuts and um, sort of, I wasn't always very present, put it that way. Um so, yeah, you know, I, I think I weathered it pretty well, to be honest with you. Well, I'll tell you, like, one of the things that I remember the first time that I spoke with you, I guess it was about seven years ago, I asked you generally the same question. I'll never forget what you said to me. You said, hey, you know, Slash is awesome. Like, and I thought that was the coolest attitude. You know, it wasn't, like, regret or anything. Like, it was praise of of him and what he did and what the record is. And, uh, and I really love that. That made me think, uh, didn't Pearl Jam, when they were just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they wanted like every single drummer who's ever been a part of that mm-hmm. band to be in the Hall of Fame. And you are a part of GNR's history, not just Hollywood Rose. You're on Appetite. Did it ever cross your mind that maybe I should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as well? <laughs> um, no, it hasn't. But it, All right. You know, now, now that it, well, it's funny because I, I I sent Chris a text that night of the show and I said, uh, "You should be a part of this." Mm. And, and, I, and I think you had lost my contact. You said, "Who is this?" I'm like, <laughs> like, New phone. Who and, dis? Right. And, and I said, "It's John Miller." You're like, "Oh, hey, John. Cheers." You know, hell yeah, whatever. Hilarious. But, well, it's just, it's just yeah, a you know, I think everybody everybody played a part, and I think it's all important. And you know, I'm not gonna. I, I'm. I think I'm humble enough to sort of recognize that. You know. The, the the components of that band that made it were probably needed to be exactly how they were in order for that to happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I don't know if I had the rift and I know I didn't have the rift for sweet child of mine. I might've had other riffs that might've been awesome as well, but that particular riff I didn't have or welcome to the jungle. And if those are the two particular songs that elevated them, it may not have happened with me. So, mm. you know, that's fair to say, but there's there's so many people who who feel like that album is one of the few albums where start to finish, front to back, they could listen to it and and, and just enjoy that experience and get sucked into to this album and escape whatever's going on in their life. And you know they've been listeners have been doing so for thirty years, so you're a part of it. I'm one of them. Yeah, and I will say this is true. Whenever I'm I'm, I'm not lazy and I try to work out, anything goes is on my my playlist. 
It's like I think it's one of the most underrated tracks. Uh, I love that tune. So again, you're you're part of it. So it's just a thought. You never know. Or, I mean, that that whole Hall of Fame thing was a catastrophe, regardless. Uh, but it, maybe we could have been invited. But you know, the the GNR temperature was pretty cold in the room that night, anyway. So yeah. again, just a thought. But uh, since your thought process is so healthy, and we can, and there's a reason why I say that. Uh, I've talked in this show about me being in therapy. Uh, I've been in therapy for six years. I'm, uh, I guess, got to refill my Cymbalta, my antidepressants. Uh, we've talked about uh, Chris Cornell on the show with uh, with Dave Kushner. Actually, quick sidebar: Did you also go to uh, high school with Dave as well? John and I wasn't sure, weren't sure of that. But she, you went to Fairfax. Okay, so you went to high school with Dave Kushner then. Uh, yeah, but I don't think I, I don't think I knew him. I don't know if it was the same year or not. Oh, okay. All right. Well, just but, what is it? The water in Fairfax? What's like oh, this breeds <laughs> rock stars? Uh, but just to continue, so I, we we spoke about the death of Chris Cornell, and you know, in addition, just talking uh, all nerdy about this band uh, Guns N' Roses. We like the music and and you know all the players involved, but we talk about the emotions, what it does to us. And I've, I'm I'm a big proponent of of, uh, of mental health, trying to get it out there. And seeing recently what happened to Chester Bennington so soon after Chris Cornell. And learning that you are now a, a therapist, I want to make sure I get the the proper uh, yeah. title. So I wanted yeah. to know how that came about because you hear of you know rock stars, are, of course, being in therapy. I think you know we can make the argument that this genre of music that we're all a fan of may need therapy the most, or our lyrics are the most therapeutic. I probably is a better way to explain it. So how did you become a therapist? Because I, I think that's that's an interesting story to me. I so had so had you know had mentioned that there was some troubled time. So you know I had some substance abuse issues and alcohol issues, and me too. Um, through into my into my thirties, you know, from my late teens through my my thirties, and um, UPO had had released no pleasantries and did really well. Hang on one second. I'm just going to talk to my daughter real quick. I'll go for it. So, um, what, what, well, so, which daughter? Yeah. Which uh, I mean, I don't want to take away from your your, your family. Did she? Beatrice, the five year old. Oh, okay, okay. She doesn't need help with her math homework at that age. Okay. Do you want to say hi? You want to say hi to everybody? <laughs> B. No, she doesn't. Future rock star, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, and and the, you know, the UPO record was doing pretty well. You know, we were we were kind of high on the we were I think number three on the on uh, active rock charts with godless and um anyway i it was a it was a crazy year so when i got off the road it kind of i kind of imploded uh and uh needed to go away for a little bit mm. um so i went to to treatment and got sober and that was nearly 16 years ago now congratulations um, mazel tov thanks thanks it's and, been uh, uh, it's been about uh this december will be two years since i've drank Congratulations, man! Thank you. Good job. My so the the second record, second UPO record by Sony Epic, uh, didn't do as well, and sort of couldn't turn it into the sort of machine that we had originally thought. Um, and uh, one of the reasons is our our A and R guy Steve Richards died, and that was a real very mm-hmm. tragic thing, and it sort of took the wind out of our sails. Um, but the second record didn't do quite as well. Um, it was it was my choice to kind of 
Well, I needed to get a job while we were waiting for the second record to come out, even in the first place. So I got a job at the only thing I, I could do, which is answer phones, because there's not too many jobs for out of you know guitar players waiting to, hmm. to, you know, to do their next record. Right. So I got a job answering phones at the at the treatment program I went through, hmm. um, and then and then went on the road. You know, then took a kind of hiatus from that program from the job to, um, to. Um, go back and support the second record. Well, when the second record didn't hit, I kind of like, I was at a, at a crossroads and I said, you know what? I kind of like being in that environment at the, you know, at the program. So I, so I went back and I kind of, after a short period of time, it went and there a different area of the program where I was talking more with people and families. And then I just went back to school and I said, you know, I, what I really want to do is kind of help people and be part of their, their success. Um, and so I went back to school, you know, did my master's, body boss. So just ended up being a therapist. That's, that's cool, man. That's, that's a great story. And the thing that's interesting is that, you know, you talk about during UPO that it, that it brought you into this downward spiral and people would probably think seeing guns and roses success might've brought you there, but it was something later on. Um, we touched on it a, a little bit earlier. Well, uh, the formation. Mind you, mind, mind you, it's within saying that during that during the success that they had, I was you know I was out of my mind. So, Got you. You know, so it all it all accumulated kind it, of. Or it, it wasn't even like registering with you. You were just dealing with your own demons. It, it sounds like. Look, I, I I could go, I could I could analyze myself, <laughs> but having having grown up in an alcoholic household, yeah. I was really good at sort of shutting down emotions anyway. So when this when this feeling which would have been sort of like resentment towards them or to have anything or just or you know or jealousy or whatever it was all kind of muted anyway so I just, just wasn't she's angry about it yeah <laughs> those are some pretty big legos she's playing with no we'll, we'll uh let you settle whatever's going on no, I like it. This, anyway, so yeah, that's how I got. That's how I got into doing that. Okay. No, and um, and and forgive because I mean, I, I, I again, it it affects me, uh, personally, and that's how, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I'm into Guns N' Roses so much. So you know, when I, even an, I look at Scott Weiland, even though it was not an official suicide. I mean, it could be looked at like he was just trying to kill himself slowly. So these are things that we all we've spoken about the show because I we pride ourselves in just kind of expanding the rock roll palette, why we like this band, why we like this genre more than most. Uh, so I guess you being on both sides of it, you know, being, uh, you know, I, I argue a successful musician uh, and now being a therapist, what do you make of how fans treat, you know, their, their idols? How fans treat their idols? Um, well, I mean, there's, I guess there's two, two things that come to mind. One... Uh, uh, famous, famous um, uh, American by the name of Super Chicken. If you guys ever watched that commercial, that cartoon. Say a super and what? What was it called? Super Chicken. Super Chicken. Super Chicken. No, I you have to be my. Oh, I know Cow and Chicken. But Super Chicken was known for saying, "You knew the job was dangerous when you took it." Mm. So, in in some respect, it's like you know. While they don't say it on the front end and when they're saying, you know, I want to be a rock star or a rap star or, or you know, whatever, they're only, they're only 
I want to I want to have money and admiration, and, and and I want to get my music out to more people so that they can appreciate it too. I'm not just you know shredding the you know the artists, but they don't they don't recognize that you know it's challenging. It's very challenging to be you know. Okay, hang on a second, dude. Just five more minutes. She can join us. She can join us. Oh, B, you want to say hi? Come on. Hi. Ah, there we go. <laughs> B hey. is officially uh, our number. She's officially a part of the AFD show, so we appreciate it. <laughs> but it, it. It can be very challenging. I mean, it would be the same conversation, I think, somebody that they have with, with people that win the lottery, and somebody comes out and says, listen, you're going you're gonna to be hit up by a bunch of people, and, you know, and it's going to be challenging, and people are going to you know, challenge your values on what's important to you, and you're a bad person if you don't do whatever. It's the same sort of thing. So, you know, Chester was out a long time, and I think he, you know, he probably had as, enough support as, as as anybody if he if he asked for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think mental health issues, whether it's depression uh, or bipolar disorder or any mood disorders, take a toll on artists who are particularly more sensitive to, especially singers, I would say, especially more sensitive to life um, and you know, people, people do hasty things when, when life becomes too stressful and too heavy, you know, and. That's as crazy. His, his single was called heavy. (laughs) His last (laughs) single we put out. Then do you have any, I guess, um, again, someone who's been on both sides of it, advice for upcoming artists? Cause I'm, I just see, you know, again, bringing it, of course, this is a Guns N' Roses podcast, but you'll see articles like Blabbermouth, which is just a cesspool of, like, you know, garbage trolls on there, you know, talking about, because the updates about what's going on with Chester and his family, and you'll see somebody, like, comment, I hope Axl Rose is next, I hope Corey Taylor's next. I mean, it's, it's disgusting. So it's hard for someone to be in, in Chester's, uh, you know, uh, his position or Axel's position to tune out all that noise. So I don't know, maybe that's what Axel had been doing when he kind of was Howard Hughes for a while. So I don't know if you have advice for an up-and-coming uh, musician, because it's really hard to tune uh, you know, those voices out, not just in your head, but in social media today. Um, I mean, I guess the, the advice would be to find people and stay open to people that you trust that will tell you, you know, give you give you the truth and and. You know, um, and not some sycophant or, you know, yes men around you because there's tons of those when you make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll, you, what you need is you need confidants and people that will sort of call you on your shit. Um, and you need to keep them around. You need to keep them close to you. Um, because you will, hit, I mean, people, I mean, listen, I've, ne- I've never been elevated to that level that they were, but, you know, no, having known people throughout the years, it comes on pretty quick and it's pretty intoxicating to kind of get whatever you want, whenever you want, and nobody says boo to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, good therapy is good as well. I mean, I work with a lot of musicians. Um, there's a great program here in Los Angeles called Music Cares, mm-hmm. and they help musicians that, that may not have funds for treatment, uh, and they help them get into treatment. I've, I've been lucky enough to work with that company a couple of times with some of their clients and um, I'm very, you know, it's more, more places like that is, are needed as well. I believe Dave Kushner spoke about music cares and slash has done some work with them as well. Yeah, that's likely a lot, a lot of um, they're, they're pretty connected to, and they get a lot of support from very, some of the, some of the 
music industries uh, outwardly open, you know, alcoholics and addicts or people affected by alcoholism and addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, anyway, they're a good company. I'm not plugging them, but I mean, I didn't come on to plug them, but that. Uh, no, it's a way like to help somebody. Things like that, definitely, things like that really do help. Therapy is good, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I want to get back into the formation of UPO because we just kind of briefly touched on it. So we were listening to UPO before we recorded. Very different sound from Guns N' Roses um, and a little bit more indicative of what was going on at that time. So how did the band get formed? And also, how did you come to the conclusion of this is what we want to sound like and, and we want to, uh, you know, have a departure of, of what I've done in the past? Um, uh, well, I was friends with Sean, um, Sean Albro, the singer for UPO since I was in my twenties, early twenties. And, um, and I'd always had a great relationship, just a friendship with him. I, I, I moved to England, uh, probably at 90, in 1992. Um, and he had come and visited me there and he took a trip around Europe doing that too. And, um, just stayed close and, when I decided to, after six six years, return to Los Angeles, I was talking to him, and he said, "Listen, why don't you come back? I'm not." He wasn't in a band at the time, and he's, you know, he's been in a band all his life. Um, and I, um, I just said, "I'm going to move back," and I moved back and um, came back to LA, and, and he and I started writing immediately. Um, you know, trapped in a small room with a guitar and a four track and a drum machine. And, um, within a short period of time had written a couple songs that were, I thought really good. Um, where I didn't intend on having a particular sound, but I was listening to bands that probably sounded a little bit more like that at the time. So it might've influenced me. Um, you know, you can't help it when certain music hits you in a particular way. Of course. Um, you know, I can see, I can see, I, and I know a lot of people that write music based on what the trend is. I don't think it was the trend. I was just, I was listening to stuff that I thought was really great and it kind of just really resonated with me. A lot of dark tones and a lot of, you know, so, um, mind you, I, you know, if I could have written, uh, you know, um, any arrows rocks or something like that, I would, I would, you know, that would have been my dream to kind of write a record like that. Well, I mean, I uh, think every band would like to write an Aerosmith Rocks. It's one of the best albums of all time. Yeah. Rock, <laughs> Poison in the Attic, or hard, Rock in a Hard Place. I have to say. Oh, Rock in a Hard Place. Okay. I thought you were saying Rocks because I, I love Rocks. Well, no, but... I, w- I was saying Rocks. Got you. Know? you. Rock, rock in a Hard Place, I think, is one of the most underrated records of all time. I, and people will tell me I'm full of, you know, full of crap for, for saying that, but it, it, it really it really hits me. I think Jimmy Crespo did a great job on that. And I love Joe Perry, but I think Crespo was awesome. Hmm. Um, and the, I think the riffs are fantastic. If anybody hasn't heard it in a while, or if you've never heard it, go listen to, go listen to that record. Um, anyway, so, uh, Sean, so I came out and Sean and I, you know, wrote a lot, wrote a lot of songs, put together a band, um, start playing shows out here in Hollywood, come some of the same venues that I played with Hollywood Rose. Um, and uh, the, our, our tape, um, um, Vicki Hamilton, who's a uh, former guest on the show, obviously part, huh? Former guest on the show. We've had Vicki on. Right. Right. Vicki Hamilton, um, 
put us in and we did some uh, demos. Um, and she was working for, I think, I can't remember who she was working for at the time. Um, it'll come to me. Columbia, maybe? She's worked with, okay, because I know she also worked, I was thinking, I thought you meant band, because I know she was with Faster Pussycat for a while. No, 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 she was, she was working at a, at a music company at the time. Oh, okay, understood. Anyway, so I, we did a, a, a demo for her, and they used, and that demo um, got on the, on the desk of somebody, which is, that's Steve Richards that I had mentioned, and um, real quickly, we got a deal. I think probably one of the last, last real sort of old school record deals um, that I at least heard of uh, for a long time. It's now you know much more. You know, people are promoting through the internet a lot more. But this was really sort of like I got a tape in my hand. I'm going to sign you guys to a deal type of. Um, so, and then the band did a couple records with uh, Rick Parisher, of, um, who did. Uh, Pearl Jam 10, he produced that record, and he nice. produced a lot of other, a lot of re- some records, some stuff for Alice in Chains, and a lot of that Seattle sound was as a result of his, um, his work in his studio, London Bridge. And that's a pretty heavy hitter to have doing your first album. Yeah, we were, you know, we got really lucky. We had a pretty, pretty good deal, and we could pick, we could pick from a lot of great. Um, producers that were out there um and we met with a lot of the guys that were sort of making good records at the time we just sort of liked rick and liked the music that he created so um we went with rick did that record um soon after the single was released godless we were on the road i think we went out with creed they stuck us on the on tour with creed and creed was creed was playing stadiums so we were like or or arenas sorry um, so we were more than happy to kind of step into something where we were playing to seven, eight thousand, thirteen thousand people a night. Nice. Um, yeah. And then the radio really took to Godless, and it, it went to number three, uh, and um, which was I think on mod, the modern rock uh, charts. Mm-hmm. And we were up there with, we were, you know, we did a lot of touring with, you know, in a lot of festivals with bands like Deftones had released White Pony at the time, and that was really big. Favorite band of mine. Perfect Circle came out, and that song Judith was um, released about the same time. So we we're, you know, those are that was okay. our competition back, then. and so we were in really great company. Um, and you know, toured all of 2000, went out with a cult for a long time. Um, you know, it was good. Um, and then I, you know, I went. I had mentioned earlier what you know I sort of hit hit the bricks a little bit, and then. Kind of remerged, did our, did the second record, and um, and that's where I changed careers. Yeah, you know? gotcha. Um, before, because I know you got to uh, attend to uh, Beatrice, who is way more important than than <laughs> us. Because uh, I know we, we briefly uh, skipped over it, but I, I didn't know if there was a story there or if it's just you auditioned or what. But what happened when you auditioned for Poison? That just sounds. Oh. Like, was it like American Idol, and you could see CC and and Ricky and, and and Branch just standing like, oh, I like this. No, no dog, I wasn't feeling it. So what was the audition process like for Poison? Well, CC wasn't. CC wasn't in the band yet. Well, that's right. You were going to fill CC's yeah. would-be spot. Yeah. Correct. Right, right. They, I think their guitar player's name was Matt, if I remember right. And they had all come out from uh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think that, I think that's where they're from. You guys know maybe better. Yeah, they are. But anyway, yeah. they, they're in kind of a working town type of thing. But anyway, 
um, blue collar town. Um, and there, and Matt, I think, I mean, I, I don't know it firsthand, but I think he needed to go back. He just wanted to go back and I think maybe he had a child or, or something that he wanted. Yeah, yeah, his wife was correct. I mentioned that. Yeah, um, and so they were looking for somebody else. I went to meet him. My 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 um, my experience with them is just going to their apartment in Hollywood. Um, I think they were all there, which is Ricky and Brett and Bobby. Mm-hmm. Um, I hung out. I think – I think I um, had a guitar. They get, you know, there was an acoustic there. Me and Bobby played a little bit, um, and then Brett was kind of standing over us and um, just talked for a while, and uh, and that was it. My that was my my uh, audition. Did you? Was there a dress code? Did you have to, you know, go in there and fishnets and eyeliner? I, you know, to be honest with you, I look just, I mean, I, Cece's shorter than me, but it's that same, I had that same look back then, that big, long, white hair straight up to the Okay. Ceiling. Have your kids seen uh, uh, the pictures of you, of you back then? <laughs> um, I think my older one has. She says, that's not you. <laughs> <laughs> when did you, when yeah. were you mommy, daddy? When were you mommy? Right. <laughs> I, I it, By the way, Chris, I, I know that, you know, you have your daughter in the background. If you have to jump at any time and and wrap it up with us you can let us know but i do have a couple more questions that we yeah, hopefully keep, keep, keep going all yeah. right i appreciate it um so one of them being i wonder i was just wondering if when you were on the road with upo were there any you know rock nerds that did their research and were like oh this was the original guitarist who worked with axel rose and wrote songs on appetite for destruction like did any fans ever come up to you with a vinyl of appetite mm. and ask you to sign it or anything like that I didn't. I don't remember. I don't remember that happening at all, except for in some of the radio stations. I remember when we we would do, UPO did a lot of morning radio. I mean, across the country, you know that there are you know early early in the morning there'll be some band that's on that's talking with whoever the rock jock is at uh, at the day, mm-hmm. and you have to remember that you know these 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 guys have probably played a gig until probably ten or eleven at night gone and party till two in the morning and then their and then their crew gets them up uh you know to do this radio thing at seven so they're they're not that fresh and then talking to wacky djs hey z morning zoo yeah and that's annoying Mm. right (laughs) but you know that's how that's how you and you and and because sean's voice was always so good we would always play godless you know live at the time so that was that was fine. But anyways, but on a couple of occasions when I went to the radio station, some of those people had done some of the research and those people would, would had you know, would mention, Hey, aren't you, you know, or we know that you're this, you know, this, this, this is your previous band. You know, I don't know how many uh, autographs I did for that particular band, but I don't, you know, but they did mention that's the only time I'd ever heard it from anybody. Have you have you ever had any awkward moments where you're telling people, you know, they're talking about Appetite for Destruction, you're like, hey, I wrote one of the songs on there. And has anyone been like, you're full of shit. You didn't write a song on Appetite for Destruction because it sounds like a pretty uh, bold claim. Right. Uh, honestly, you know, there was a, when I was, I was living in Minneapolis for a couple, for about a year, um, where I was lucky enough to work at Paisley Park, did a demo at Paisley Park. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's where the late Prince lived. Yeah. And um, I met him, him, but that... Oh, wow. It doesn't matter. So, but his... It matters. Meeting Prince is a big deal. We talked about Prince on the show. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, he he was nice. I mean, he he gave me the time for free. That's so awesome. Oh, wow, that's worked, awesome. Because that was that was the tape that I was doing that got me my publishing deal with Geffen at the the Guns N' Roses money. So he signed on to that idea of sort of helping me create that. And this is when he was doing the Love Sexy tour. So he that's had a whole cool. set up in his thing. But in, in any case, so when I but I was the only time that anybody ever sort of called me said bullshit on me is and this is back before the internet was I was trying to make ends meet so I was trying to uh, give guitar lessons and um, in the guitar lesson somebody had advertised for me trying to get me guitar lessons and had said that I had you know been a member of Guns N' Roses which wasn't exactly accurate but it was close enough to kind of what you know the idea would have been in any case you would embellish a resume it's the same thing Right, and I, I certainly didn't do it because I'm not that kind of, kind of person. You probably asked John, but um, <laughs> and so when somebody so somebody got on the phone and I thought they were going to be a, a a new client, they were in a, you know, and then they said bullshit. So it, it, whether it's because of, it's just my disposition, and I'd like to say humility, but maybe it's just embarrassment. I don't mm-hmm. I don't tell people. People find out, and certainly with with Google now, and you know. Um, much more people know and nobody questions it because you can kind of look, um, you know, a lot of people go like, Hey, you know, they work with, Hey, I didn't know you had a Wikipedia page. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just think the whole idea of having to call bullshit on, or you having to call bullshit on them and say, no, I really did. This is kind of funny. Um, and it's making me think of something. Have, uh, by any chance have any of you guys seen the documentary on quiet riot? No, I haven't. It's a great documentary, but there's such a cringeworthy moment where the original, their drummer who drummed on, uh, I don't actually, I might be wrong with which member it was. It wasn't Frankie, but there was a guy who played something on the original album, but he's not on the cover. And he's, he's touring with the band now, or at least was at the time of the documentary. And they're doing a signing and, uh, he has Frankie sign it. And, you know, just a random fan. And the guy who played on the album but isn't on the cover goes, hey, do you you want me to sign it as well? And and the fan goes, no, you weren't on the album. (laughs) And he's like, no, look at the credits, dude. I I played whatever it was on, you know, this song. And he's like, no, you didn't. He's like, dude, look at the credits. (laughs) And it's just such a cringeworthy moment of him trying to convince this fan that he played on the album and it's almost kind of embarrassing so it made me think if you ever had one of those scenarios where you're like hey you want me to sign uh, appetite for destruction no you, you didn't have anything to do with that album yeah i did well right. yeah. yeah well chris i like the fact that you're you know you said whether it's humble because i seem i have the kind of the same kind of personality where it's not like you're going around wearing a t-shirt say you know ask me about appetite for destruction you know and you're you're, you're telling people or how a lot of people saw uh, steven adler for many years where it's just he's talking about obviously he was the drummer on that record but he just kept talking about it and wouldn't seem to let go uh now there, that could be argued whether he can really let go because he wants to be the full-time drummer uh so you're your feelings on it are actually pretty refreshing because you'll you'll hear from the original uh, Iron Maiden uh, singer, the original ACDC singer, you know, and there there might be some bitterness uh, still there. So you seem to have a very uh, healthy attitude, and you, it's, you have the resume to back it up anyway. So you you should feel nothing but you know, good vibes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's just by, it's not by design. You know, I just kind of. Or maybe it is. I can't remember how that that phrase is used. But it's it's. I, I'm not trying to do it. It's just kind of like that's just me. I, I get I get embarrassed when when there's undue 
uh, influenced mm-hmm. by something that I've done that people may have more of a feeling towards than I than I regard. Mm. So I don't see it as that big of a deal. Hang on, five more minutes. Because um, <laughs> I don't see it as that big of a deal, and maybe that's just a, what I need to do in order to not have any resentment. I don't know. I agree. I mean, we see it as a big deal as fans. I and I got to ask one last thing before we wrap up here. Just at least my my last question I want to get to. Uh, and you don't have to be specific on this. I know this is a personal thing, but a lot of fans probably wonder. You know, your name is on anything goes on Appetite for Destruction. The album is sold tens of millions of albums worldwide. You still are a part of those royalties. What type of royalties do you see from that album? Um. Not as much as I would like. <laughs> That's a fair Good response. Answer. That's a fair response. I like it. I, put it this, put it this way: I work for a living, and um, you know, and I work hard to you know pay for my family for in, in the work that I do now. So the any monies that I've gotten from that have really already happened, mm. um, been wasted, been taken, or you know, uh, appropriated by other people, or just never gotten. Um, that is kind of a sore spot, but it's not sore in the fact that I have feelings about it. I just, it just, it didn't, it's not really the, it's not really a windfall like people would think. What is good about it, and this is, well, this is worth well more than any money that I ever got, was the fact that, um, I, it was it, that my name connected with something that was, uh, so meaningful to people that it's allowed me to do to a couple things in my life that I wouldn't have had an opportunity to do by the, by, by people that are fans of the band. And that's, that's worth way more to me than any financial gains that I might've had. Right on. That's awesome. Do you have anything you want to get out there now? What's your, I mean, I know you're, you're working therapist. I don't know if you want to put out a, a number or where people can contact you. Uh, I don't know if you're actually working on music uh, as well. Is there anything you, you want to get out to our audience that we may not have uh, touched on? Um, no, I'm working at the, I mean, I'm sure my, my employer, I'm working at the Hills. It's a treatment program in Los Angeles. If, uh, if you need those services, I work there. So if you'd like to work with me, you're welcome to um, call them and ask them to, uh, you know, about their, about their program. Um, but that's where I work. And, um, and I have, I want to give a lot of credit to John and for, for, and, and for his passion really admire that and having done what he's done for so long um, and still, you know, still trying uh, as hard as he was in the very beginning, like on a daily basis. Well, well, I appreciate it. I mean, uh, you know, I was thinking when you're talking about people approaching you about who you were and all that with, with the way information is available now, I mean, I feel like so many people know about you and, and, and this is, you know, it was seven years ago when I first reached out to you, I was getting that through, you know, through books and stuff I was reading and through MySpace. Hmm. I don't know if you remember, that's, that's how I reached out to you. And I was, I was a little cautious. I didn't want to be as obvious about what I was doing. And I was saying, yeah, I'm writing this movie on the glam scene. And, and I think you caught on pretty quick, you know, what I was focusing on. And, um, and I, I think I showed up a, a times a little too wired on caffeine and I appreciate you sticking with me, so. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's been years and like, and like, you know, and, and now you're a buddy of mine. Yeah. I, I, and like I come out to LA when going along, uh, long run around the city together and it's, it's, um, it's, it's great, man. I mean, I, I've, it's been fantastic support. So 
you know. Cool. Uh, Aw. Great, great thing for me. That's awesome. Sure. Yeah. Chris and John so, frolicking in the fields together. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I've got, gotten a lot of I got a lot of riches from from this, and it hasn't been financially. So that's cool. Um, Anyway, thanks for putting up with my kids in the background. Oh, no, we appreciate it, man. I, you know what? As we're wrapping this up. I, thanks for I putting thinking, up with us. Yeah, thank you, us. yeah, thank you so much. I was just thinking um, real quick, any contact with the guys in, you know, Guns N' Roses still? And also, oh, how, in the reunion. how do you feel yeah. about the reunion? Yeah, without Izzy, because he's such a crucial part of that band. And I know you got to go, so you can keep it brief if you'd like. You know, um, I I don't contact anybody anymore. Last person I talked to was uh, probably Steven. Um, and that's a number of years now. Um, and I saw Slash when we did a book signing together for Mark Hanner's book. Um, but in, in regards to the Izzy thing, you know, I, I didn't, th- you know, personally, I, I had, you know, problems when, you know, Steven wasn't in the band and it was Matt Sorum, hmm. you know, and then the addition of uh, you know, the other guys, Dizzy, and they're all great, great guys probably, but you know, that, you know, I, I'm a kind of a purist when it comes to that. Um, I always like that, that story that the, that Ron Wood tells, you know, Ron Wood, you know, he's been in, he's been in, you know, in the stones for what, 40 years, 45 years now. And they still don't call him the new guy. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that sort of, I, it, it isn't really Guns N' Roses without Izzy. I don't know why he's not doing it. And if it has anything to do with them not paying him enough, I think that's, bullshit because they 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 should you know figure out a way to make that happen um but is he the type of guy that like if he doesn't want something you you know he's not can't pull him in with financial gains he he's he he was principled i I don't hang out with him anymore but he has his own way of life as a matter of fact that's why even that's why i'm even part of this band is because izzy was that person if he was just some schmuck off the street that had a you know, had a an idea for a band and wanted you know in, in you know rehearsal space. I would never have done it. Now, let me uh, ask uh, with that being a purist, because of course that's been a topic that we've we've covered throughout uh, our whole tenure doing this podcast. Because uh, Gilby replaced Izzy, and Gilby did some mixes on the Hollywood Ro- Rose release a few years ago. So, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about Gilby doing that? Did you work together with him on that? I no, um, I. Didn't work with Gilby on it, and for some reason that breaks from that's the anomaly to my my feeling because I do feel that Gilby has put in enough time with the original stuff. It may also be because Gilby was part of the the band that were here in Los Angeles at the time we played a show at Madame Wong's West when his band Candy was playing. So maybe that there's something of that that sort of changes my mind a little bit. Um, the Gilby participating, but I really think that you know you need to get. Izzy and Steven in it to kind of have that original, if you're going to call it original. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, otherwise you can't really call it original. I got you. Oh, for what it's worth. A lot of people agree uh, with you. I, th- I would say the majority, even though this, uh, the tour has been successful. Uh, but a lot of people, I mean, we've been waiting uh, for like just at least another one-off. I mean, they did it with Steven, but uh, we've been waiting with Izzy for Izzy. I mean, we're hoping it it, it happens. Yeah, I do too. I keep wondering if uh, you know I'm in I'm in Izzy's hometown right now. I'm not his current home, but I don't know if he lives here or not. But I hear he does. So I'm in I'm in Lafayette. I don't know if I told you that, Chris, or not. But, uh, yeah, I saw you. Right. So I'm going to this place uh, called uh, 
Maguire Music, which is like the local, I don't know, like it's the spot where everyone goes and gets their stuff. And uh, he shows up on occasion. I'm not thinking I'm going to run into him, but I always I come here and I wonder, you know, is is, uh, is he is he in town? Is but, is he in town? Right. Well, while uh, John continues to stalk uh, Jeff, uh, we'll hey, let he's you... not Art Tavana. No, I'm just joking. We love Art. <laughs> but uh, no, we'll we'll let you go, Chris. I mean, this was truly an honor. I, I've been we've been talking about uh, interviewing you ever since we met uh, John, and he said he was connected with you. And you know, I, I just recently watched the documentary and read some stuff up uh, about you. So it's just awesome to talk to you and uh, all the wonderful work that you're doing now, which is just awesome to hear. Thanks. Thanks for that acknowledgement. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. So uh, tell uh, Beatrice, uh, we, we apologize to her for us. And wherever she wants to do, you know, if you're going to Chuck E. Cheese or whatever, uh, have fun. And if you were ever in New York, uh, I will ask you to sign my Appetite for Destruction uh, CD. Oh, that would that would be an honor. <laughs> awesome. Well, hopefully it happens or we go out to L.A. with uh, John one day. But regardless, uh, hopefully this is not the last time we speak. Well, if, I, if I'm with John, we got our running shoes on, and we're running in the middle of the night. Yeah. Oh. We fall over. Oh, okay. Well, I'm handicapped, so I'll get some, like, rocker-powered wheelchair or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Chris. No, thank you. You'll be the pace setter. <laughs> right. Right. Yes, that's what I'll be like the, uh, when, what are they, like, when they're dog racing, I'll be like the follow bunny, whatever, the lead bunny. <laughs> well, I'm really uh, self-deprecating right now. <laughs> right. This is why All I'm right, in therapy. Guys. Thank you, Chris, so Thanks, much. Man. Have a Thank great you. day. Thank you very much, Chris. I'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Take care. Bye now. Later. Well, there, I I totally fanboyed out there. I got to be honest. That's I cool. mean, yeah. Oh man. Thank right? you, John. It's... Thank you, John, for making it happen. Hey. Thank you. I mean, like, listen, thanks to Chris. I mean, you know, that that was the coolest thing ever. Man. Yeah, it's so funny because, you, you know, you want to hold it back and you're just having a conversation with the guy on the show. But when you hear all that rich history and the fact that you get to speak with the guy, like, you know, that's one of those things that's priceless to me that I get to, you know, talk to I mean, a guy who really is just so crucial in the formation of what we would all probably call the greatest rock and roll band of all time. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could argue that, it, you know, if they met another guitarist, you know, GNR may or may not have happened, but whatever. He was the guy that they needed, and, like, they wrote those songs. I mean, can you imagine? All right, let me, you're talking about hearing him. What about when I saw him in person? Like, here I am uh, 10 years ago. I mean, seven years ago, I'm, I, I walked from my buddy dropped me off. I walked down Santa Monica. I met him at this coffee shop. All of a sudden, I turn around. There's Chris Weber. He's standing right there. <laughs> you know, he's got sleeve tattoos, and I'm like, this is this is the guy that played with with my heroes. Hmm. Uh, it, it was it was surreal. And so, like, the more and more I hung out with him, I'm like, this is this is just it gets more and more familiar and cool. So, see, I think that's that's cool, John and and Ian. As you know, it's been a longer journey for you. Uh, John, with working on your uh, Young Axel uh, documentary. Uh, it's, but, no, it's not a documentary, remember? It's, oh, it's a film. It's a, it's a narrative, a narrative. movie. I mean, it's, um, and, and, and it's, I can't say it's 100% accurate right now because I have not talked to the man, you know, and it's like, and 
Right. I want it to be right. So, but I do have a complete script. It's gone through a million. Anyway, script. No, forgive me. I want to get it right. I mean, you've told me about it. I don't know why I said documentary. I'm a piece of shit. It's all right. I mean, uh, <laughs> So uh, my thought was, uh, in the year plus that uh, Ian and I have done this podcast, we've met some really cool people, and that's what you've been doing. And, you know, I texted uh, Dave Kushner uh, right after, uh, yeah, it was like maybe a few hours after we read, uh, I read the news about Chester, because in that episode, which I didn't know about, that he is in, you know, this like jam band with Chester, and I think with Matt Sorum as well, and so I know they've worked together, so I shot him a, a text, and uh, just basically said, and I, and that's why I think it was also funny, John, that you said, um, you know, uh, Chris didn't know who you were. Uh, after he's like he lost your number, so I really yeah, yeah. yeah so I thought that was the same thing that was going to happen with uh, with Dave Kushner. So I even said like, hey Dave, it's Brando from the GNR podcast. I just want to send my condolences about Chester. Uh, that you we know we spoke about him. Uh, I guess hope all is well. And he said thanks, man. I uh, appreciate you reaching out. And that was it. So yeah, which just has to be so hard I, because you were in a band with Scott Weiland, and then you know oh, you're, I know you're kind of rising from the ashes of that, forming a new thing with Chester. You know, and it's just so weird how Chris Cornell, Scott Weiland, and Chester, they all have ties to GNR. Mm-hmm. All three of these guys. So that's why it's important. And we talk about all these, you know, these bands, uh, the web that we've, you know, the GNR universe creates. But again, it's just, uh, it's interesting that, you know, we've, I'm not, I'm not going to be silly, you know, um, overblow. I joke that I'm Dave Kushner's friend where BFFs, <laughs> obviously not, but he still has, you know, I'm Dave Kushner's uh, cell number. I've also Kev. Yeah. Keith, I also have Keith Sweats, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, but then you have like uh, you know Chris Webber's obviously, and it's just cool that the, these players that we're meeting of this band that we uh, we all grew up with loving that we're now kind of very fringely, if that's a word, kind of being swept into that web with people that you yeah. know, that we're meeting. So uh, it's just very cool. It's very cool what this band is bringing to uh, to all of us. So with that though, with John, because um. You know, we're not going to keep you on too long. Uh, I want to, the update with your movie. What's going on? Because you're on location right now. So what are you up to? Well, I, you know, I, I'm only here because I'm visiting friends that I've made through my project. Um, I'm on my way back from St. Louis. And uh, it just, you know, I love coming here. Um, I guess I've been here five or six times and it, and. The first time I, I came here, it was a different, it was a different world. So I'd never even been in the state of Indiana, but now I come to Lafayette. I mean, I, I know my way around really well, and um, and I like seeing it. And I just feel like the more I'm here, I get more familiar with it. And it also, you know, it, it it helps when you when you write to like have exact visuals in front of you. And um, but that's really it, you know, just seeing a couple people dropping some stuff off that I brought from from New York. And uh, I was planning on on driving up to Minneapolis for the show tomorrow night. It's only nine hours from here. Mm. But then if but then if I go from Minneapolis to New York, mm. that's 19 hours back. And my uh, my 1990 Volvo is AC less, Ooh. so I ride with the windows down. Brutal. And I I just don't think I can do 19 hours in the car. So I sold my ticket. I'm not gonna make it, mm. fortunately. But um. Whatever. Where's your wife doing all this? Are you still married? Like she's just letting you again, just travel around like the Grateful Dead with GNR. She. Uh, it's a miracle. <laughs> Sorry. One time I, I said she deserves the Patience Award. Um, <laughs> I mean, we we got a dog four months ago, and I actually got it through one of my GNR friends who posts all this these great sites of uh, dog rescues, 
in uh, California and New York and Texas. And, and this little little Chihuahua Terrier popped up one day, and we were looking for a dog, and and she is she occupies our life. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my did, wife did, did the dog get you know a GNR related yeah, name? I, I can thinking. see you doing that. Uh, I considered calling her Rocket, mm-hmm. you know, um, because she's fast as hell. But um, I, I thought if if my wife knows that it's a GNR name, you know. So <laughs> well, uh, wait, what name? I want to know what name we went oh, with. Oh yeah, what name? Oh, oh it, it's nothing. Her name is Val. V A L. Okay, Val. She sounds it's like a stripper. Short, it, it, it's it's short for Valenciana because she's a Chihuahua. It's a little town. Of <laughs> That's cool. And, okay, because uh, Duff just uh, tweeted a picture that he and his wife just got a dog. So I was hoping well, he well because would... th- their dog Buckley. Um, Axel announced this in the show the other night. That Buckley do- died. Yeah, the band arrived. Oh, man. And Buckley has been around for a long time. Wasn't that his uh, his Twitter avatar for a while, right? I don't know about that. I think it was I, it was Axel, a dog. I mean, it was a dog. Axel has a dog, but it's not. It's Betta's dog. Um, oh, it's a French poodle. Maybe but I, I don't know about Duff's. Oh, because I was thinking, and I was hoping he would comment or acknowledge it. I was like, is the name Ruff McKagan? <laughs> uh, okay, no, well, I mean, maybe not. But if you. If you read his books, and I believe this is the dog, Buckley was with him, um, or at least um, around the birth of his children. You know, uh, so this dog's been around for like you know serious times with him. I, I don't know if when he was going through his extremely serious health issue when it, when he when his, uh, had his pancreas burst. That was twenty years ago. It's not a twenty-year-old dog, but anyway, <laughs> but Buckley Buckley was uh, very close to them and and. Um, and he and Buckley passed away, unfortunately, and they dedicated Heaven's Door to him. It was a nice moment. Oh. I uh, so we're wrapping things up here, but there was one last piece of kind of GNR news that people were talking about that I wanted to throw oh, out. But there. There. is there any other before we get to that? There's no more updates though, because I know you're also working on like um, a do- well. Oh, I know we, you said it's not we, a documentary, we, but like the making of the movie you're trying. Oh, yeah, no, I, I'm writing that. I mean, it, it's, okay. a, it's a book. Um, it's you know, I got. A lot. I've been doing it off and on for about three years, and I got a lot written. It's just sort of extremely disorganized or unorganized, and uh, but you know, I, I I say that I don't have the ending yet. You know, um, so when it's right, it's right. And, You'll find your rosebud. Right. right. <laughs> um, that's about. I mean, in terms of the movie, I, I you know, I'm, I'm. It's it's all about. Um, licensing and, and permissions yeah. and stuff because that's no no one's going to produce a movie if there's any kind of uh, legal risks you got to make so. a um i mean this is i'm sure you thought about it like a, a short and maybe do like um one of those, oh like, uh, i always recommended fun. that there's this one writer that i that i'm that uh actually from indiana wrote this great article about axel in um uh 2006 his name was john jeremiah sullivan and um i contacted him back then to help me reach somebody and uh he he said, you know what you got to do? You got to be really creative. You got to go back to Lafayette and shoot a short there. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's a fantastic idea. I mean, if I if I had the the money, it's all about do, you know, it, it all comes down to money and and doing because you want to do it right. You want you want to you want to make an asshole movie because I've I've made some some shit shorts in the past and people have let me know mm. that I should have uh, well you just never know well, in today's uh, was it crowdfunding or you know whatever people that's just usually, true. What they usually I mean you have like rich people like I think Spike Lee wants his fucking new movie yeah. funded yeah, he, yeah, he, like, he doesn't have the fucking money like that. 
Uh, yeah, no, that's true. Insane. Which it, it it it's cool if they have some cool rewards. I, you know, I get that. Um, but anyway, yeah, the last piece of uh, you know, I guess you would say news in the uh, in the GNR world and that people have been talking about. So there was you know this limited run of a Sirius XM Guns and Roses channel, which I believe is still on. They did uh, in honor of the 30th anniversary of Appetite, as well as mm-hmm. the show at the Apollo. And people were like, hmm, I wonder if they're ever going to play One in a Million. And sure enough, One in a Million is on the playlist. Uh, They've been playing it on the channel completely uncensored. Oh, I thought you meant, when you said playlist, I'm hearing set list. No, 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 not live or anything. You you thought the same thing when I said this to you, Brandon. No, just because, uh, well, yeah, because. Yeah, they're never going to play it again live, I don't think. But We talked about that on the show because I love that, too. We've talked about the lyrics and stuff, but but the fact that Sirius is playing it is very interesting. And what surprised me is, you know, I worked for Sirius XM. Sirius XM is a very politically progressive company. They are pretty cautious about anything that could be perceived as racist or homophobic or anything like that. I never would they fired Anthony Cumia when he wasn't even on the air with it. Yeah, and it's not like it's a crucial song to play. This isn't like saying, you know, we're not going to play Welcome to the Jungle or something. So I'm just really surprised that they decided to uh, to play One in a Million on on a platform that reaches tens of millions. Well, uh, yeah, I am a little... I don't know. I mean, I I don't know what what say-so the band has in terms of, you know, what what they'll play... um, well, I know, but, yeah, I mean, so not to interrupt, but I know Duff, at least Duff had, like, his own part of the channel once. Like, he had, like, a punk show. He's, like, you know, things that influenced me. So I know they have some say, but maybe not the generic I, playlist. But I would, I would think, at the, you know, if they said, hey, we don't want one in a million played on the channel, oh, then that they their word it. would go. So, I mean, they, they definitely don't have a problem with it. I don't know the PD yeah. over there that would make that decision. Well, I mean, whatever. Maybe I mean, I love, I, I love know. that song. Oh, so you yeah, know, it's, 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 it's a great song. I think it's cool. I'm just, I'm, I'm surprised. I was surprised when I, and a lot I'm of people, and a lot of people uh, in that fan group on on Facebook were surprised. In today's were, climate, too. I mean, the the, the fans, well, we're we're happy, but in today's climate, if you're not that big of a, a Guns N' Roses fan, and you know, you you have a, you're a Sirius XM subscriber, uh, you shouldn't be. You should be on uh, iHeart. Uh, <laughs> but if you if you hear that song maybe for the first time. That's that's a that could very well be that's a song somebody can hear for the first time in 2017. That's a, that is true. Not to mention, you know, yeah. we've we've talked about this before, but the um the trend of people wearing old band T-shirts um that they might listen to or might not listen to. Uh, if you walk around New York City, it's pr- pretty often I do see young black kids wearing Guns N' Roses shirts. Oh, they're and, huge, oh, yeah. and it, I don't. It, dude, I, it, it is all over Brooklyn. I mean, yeah, it's I a big part. Girls, it's, it's everyone. I think it's a big GNR. part of that skateboard culture because you see those same kids wearing the Thrasher shirts and everything. Um, well, I'll y- see preppy and I'll see you know uh, you know girls like Jappy kind of, and I say that as a Jew. Uh, so again, <laughs> so I'm sorry if that's a slur, but I'm using my own slur. Uh, where you know like uh, studded GNR tank tops. Like when I went to see GNR last year with my friends and my brother, um, my friend's wife wore like it was like a pink GNR logo and it was all studded. It was pretty badass. Yeah, but yeah. But anyway, like my point being, I don't know if all these kids, uh, you know, especially black kids in particular, are into Guns and Roses. But let's say they're wearing the shirt. They they happen to tune into Sirius XM and hear the Guns and Roses channel, and they hear actually using the N word. Like it would probably turn them off from wanting to display that band's shirt. So uh, it is. Uh, it's a controversial maybe. move. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I always want to get into it. 
with people to explain a, a way to, to perceive the song, you know, not only that it's, it was written 30 years ago and, you know, and the, the times have changed and attitudes, but also look, you can't look at the song as like a personal confession. You know, I think we've even talked about this on the show that, you know, this is a story that was told and, you know, it was, it was done effectively because, you know, Axel sings with, you know, totally connected passion, but these aren't necessarily thoughts and feelings that he had. He might've been recognizing things. I don't know, you know, but yeah. whatever. And so, and to, and as it, you but said, there's enough interviews with Axel from back then talking about it. And I think I've used the analogy, how can you have Tom Sawyer, the book, not the Rush song, uh, without the N-word in it? Yeah. So, I mean, there's certain artistic licenses. He's not, you know, he, he was not like where, you know, today's hip hop, where it's just over, you're overwhelmed with uh, the N word and things like that. But it you know, specific... it's not the hard ER. There's, there's a, there's well, a that's difference. Semantics. That's semantics. Uh, I, I, I would say I there's a difference. I, but white people usually say that. I, I no, I, I think a lot of black people would say that, that there's a huge difference, man. Um, I think the the ER and the A. Mm. Uh, you know, but well, not, here, not the, only that, it's like what Ice Cube said to, uh, to uh, Bill Maher. Uh, Bill Maher, he goes, he goes that. That was y'all's word. You can't have it back. It's ours now. Yeah. yeah. So I like that. And and you know, times have changed, but that word will always be offensive in America. Other parts of the song, you could say, oh, it's a different part of the culture. You know, it, it even reminds me of uh, well, even the gay slur because you always focus. Well, though. I was going to say, if yeah. you watch Motley Crue, welcome to the videos. This is actually pretty interesting, and a lot of you might not know this. If you um, watch the Doctor Feelgood video. There's a sign in a window that says no bags. And you're like, you know, why is there a sign that says no bags? Unwelcome, not welcome to the videos. I'm sorry. I'm saying yeah. uh, Motley Cruz, whatever it's called, oh, the, the like, video yeah, okay. documentary. So it's their version of welcome to the videos. So if you listen to the commentary, Nikki Six says that that sign in the window originally said no fags. Mm. And, and oh, MTV man. said, you know, we're not going to put that on. And they had to go frame by frame and make it look like a B. And Nikki Six clarifies. He goes, for us, no fags means n no wimps, you know, n no complainers. He was like, that's, you know, we don't mean anything against gays. And, and keep in mind, like, this is late 1980s, and it was just more acceptable at the time. And, and times do change. And, uh, you know, we, we change our language and our culture. I was just watching uh, a video this morning. I don't know how much of a wrestling fan you are, John, but it was an old video of a huge D huge Generation fan. X. It was, uh, <laughs> it was DX with uh, Hunter and Shawn Michaels and the late Ch uh, China. Uh, and they were saying that the words that they can't say on TV because it was unedited, so it must have been on like some DX uh, video. When he used the word, uh, you know, the F word. I, I, I know yeah. I'm aware on a podcast. I just don't want to feel like saying it. But the same word that Dire Straits uses, the same word that was in One in a Million, that Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who's now like you know the COO of WWE. There's video about of him, you know, in a bit using that word, yeah. and that's not that yeah. long ago. So it's uh, it's interesting that Sirius made that choice. So uh, good to discuss that. Um, anything else, my dear Ian? Because I know this has been a long ass episode. How could you not go along with uh, Chris Weber? Oh, oh, of course not. And John Miller. I mean, I think the one, hey. John, you were my first uh, co-host when Ian was out, and I think just without even trying, we did a two-hour episode. Yeah. Well, the time y'all first had me on, we went, we went over two hours. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and we tried to hold it back the second time around, but 
you know. People like the long podcasts, man. I mean, look at Joe Rogan. You know, he goes like three hours sometimes. Yeah, I, and not, I don't we're mind. We're not man. Joe Rogan. Not I listened. I, I don't. I'll tell you this, man. I listened yesterday to the whole three-hour podcast with Dorian Yates that Joe Rogan did, and I was uh, glued to it. I thought no, it was excellent. No, so. people do, and I just want to say, uh, in addition, to say thank you, John, not just for being on uh, the show because we were hoping to have you in, uh, but obviously you're on location uh, in uh, Lafayette. Uh, but just the, the I want to th- say thanks to. Uh, some people that are, I guess, listening and people that are always just chiming in. I, oh, yeah. I know we, uh, Anna from Portugal, we played, uh, you know, her review. She's awesome, yeah. You know, she chimed in. Uh, Sir Kev Pryor Esquire, he's in a band and has a guitar shop over in Ireland. We're always hearing from uh, from him. We always get, you know, we're, we're always meeting, you know, over the internet. Some, it sounds so creepy. Some wonderful people. So, uh, John, just wanted to make sure in addition to saying thank you that we do read, you know, all the messages that you send us. Uh, as well, so uh, yeah, we tried. We knew this episode was going to go long. We we did know that, uh, but no one's complaining. No, man. They, they I, definitely love it. But I do. Uh, in addition to those, uh, another friend that I know listens to these episodes is my friend uh, John, aka Stud, that I uh, went to Hofstra with him. I I know. Uh, I don't know if you. I don't think you would know him. No. Uh, but he's he's listened to episodes. He's like, oh, this is like a two hour episode. He's like, all right, now I got to listen to it. You know, uh, three days at work. You know, they sp- spread it over. So I have friends that are breaking up the podcast when it is a longer episode. And I guess that's how it works. So there's plenty of content here between John. What, like are you having like an orgy? What are you, what's going on? Are you in Ikea? Sorry, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, okay. I'm in I'm a stairwell of a hotel. Oh, okay. Because it's one thing if, you know, we have Chris Weber's little girl, Beatrice. But you, I don't know if you're in Ikea and you're making some sort of, like, fucking couch right now. Yeah, and, and Chris Weber can get away with that. He's an A-list guest. Yeah, John, you're like fuck a, you, You're John. like a D-list guest. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, we'll let you go as you're sitting awkwardly in a stairwell. And uh, please keep, keep us up to date in everything that you're doing. We'll obviously... Uh, keep um, following you and talking because we're all buddies and best friends uh, off the air anyway. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. Twitter at the AFD show. Facebook, uh, just look up Appetite for Distortion with uh, Brando and Scott, oh, motherfuckers. Yeah, and I won't give out John's information because, like, last time he's like... Uh, give out his phone I, number. No, I, I think when I first asked John, how do we contact you? He's like, just look up John Miller. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that's going to work at the fucking internet. Just type in John Miller. Uh, so if if anything that John is updating us, we'll update it through our AFD pages. Um, so as far as the next episode, oh, I, I, I'm oh say, what, what? Reaching out to Tracy Guns, try going to try to get him on hopefully because they're going to come to New York. If we can get him in studio, mm-hmm. it'd be awesome. And Butcher Baby is on tour with Hollywood Undead, so hopefully we get uh, Carl Harvey in studio. And so then, those and, are future episodes. I'm trying Mark to get Slaughter, into. right? Mark Slaughter would be cool. And also, and I mentioned I got Kevin in uh, Ireland, and I just want to acknowledge that we're not. Uh, forgetting about you, you I know, know we always say Russ TCB. We got to bring it yeah, back on. It's, it's it's so much. He man. said he's uh, he's writing a book. This guy Kevin over there, and he listens to our podcast in his uh, guitar shop over there. So that's pretty cool. So I mean, you know, we definitely want to get and you know meet you. You know, the listeners, uh, the GNR fans who have great stories. I read a lot of these awesome stories you guys share, especially on that fan spot uh, page on uh, on Facebook. So we definitely want to hear from you in addition to, you know, some of the bigger names that we get. So if you have any ideas, thoughts, hey, I have this great GNR story I want to tell you, please feel free to message us and, you know, we'll make it happen. So uh, as far as the next episode, unless there's anything else, my dear Ian. No, just, uh, you know, it'll be... Uh... 
after the fact, but I'm hoping John Jones beats Daniel Cormier tonight. Okay. And uh, anything else you want to share? <laughs> That's it. That's <laughs> all. Unless there's anything you want to share, John. Yeah. Anything else, John? No, no. I, everything's great. You know, um, I was thinking I could. Uh, I'll send him. I'll send an email to Tracy Gunn. See what he says. Oh, that would be awesome, dude. I, I would love to get Tracy on the show. Just so much history there, man, between L.A. Guns and, uh, you know, old L.A. Guns and then Brides of Destruction, which uh, I got to see them for their pretty short uh, lifespan. Tracy's a great guitarist, man. Well, it's always great. Yeah. It's always great, dude, though. I mean, mm -hmm, God. he let me shoot. One, he, I, I, he let me film one of their shows about five years ago. Nice. It was like, I always say, it was my... Uh, What's the Led Zeppelin movie? Into the Outdoor or Song Remains the Same? Yes. My Song Remains the Same moment, getting, getting ready to get, getting to shoot him close up. And he's just, yeah, he's, he's great. And what I like about the interviews that we do, and in case in point, I think, uh, was this episode, that we find out things that we're not expecting. And that's kind of the point. You know, whether it be silly or serious things we found out with Dave Cushman that was picked up, or something silly with Charlie Benanti that he watched the Walking Dead premiere on the Slayer bus. But here, I mean, uh -huh. I don't know if John, you knew, I mean, I guess you, you did know, I'm assuming, that uh, Chris auditioned for Poison. Uh, you know what? I did not know that. All right, so the, look at this. See, that, that, Big that revelation. Too. I mean, I'm not surprised because even Kevin Lawrence for Rapid Fire auditioned for Poison as well. Oh, my God. Rest in peace, man, to Kevin Lawrence. Sure. So yep. it's uh, it's very cool. So we, we, we like finding out stories in addition to, you know, the, the big ones we know about getting more in depth, but these little fringe you know, things that we, nuggets that we find out, I think is what makes these, uh, these shows special, what makes the show special. And thanks, John, for again, adding to this wonderful little Guns N' Roses program that we have here. You're, you're both way welcome. It's my pleasure. All right. Well, get home safely. And as thanks, far as sir. the next episode of Appetite for Distortion, the words of Axl Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know, soon is the word, but you'll see it. You've been listening to the distorted minds of Brando and Scotto. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses on Appetite for Distortion. Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The AFD Show. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>